previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. Gonna have to touch the elephant in the room. You know why? You, what, you're just as bad as the people who made Zero, giving him a pointless <laughs> made-up partner character, oh, yeah. and it could be Forrest Speyer. I can't believe I've just heard someone say Resident Evil Zero is one of my favourite games. Who hates Code Veronica? Code Veronica, shit. What? I'll just talk about the original game, but just pretend it's got slightly better graphics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so the answer is there is they're all there. <laughs> oh my god, the one time Batman agrees with me, I thought, well, I'm definitely going to get this right. The magazines aren't in there from the computer. Welcome to episode 33 of the Project Umbrella podcast. Looking forward to the next logical step in the Biohazard universe, Resident Evil on Ice. And after recent events, <laughs> pleased that we didn't wish anyone a happy Easter. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today. He's the only podcaster that can stave off the host with his bat shark repellent spray. It's Batman. That's a good reference. You Some say he is a pioneer in creating the first biohazard timeline. Others say he had too much time on his hands and should get out more. It stars Tyrant. Happy anniversary, everyone. He's been campaigning relentlessly to change the flag at Project Umbrella Towers. We told him to fuck off. It's Rombi. Hello. Wow, that was a bit... <laughs> is that what you've been doing, Rob? I'm sorry. What's doing that for? It's big news in New Zealand. Not really. <laughs> Are you working in the voice recording industry? Have you just been interviewed for Crimson Head Elder? You need a new agent. It's George Trevor. <laughs> and finally, he's an accident that keeps on happening over and over again. It's Mr. Spencer. Wow. That's not as bad as I was expecting. <laughs> so episode 33 is a birthday special. Happy We'll be cracking open the bubbly, celebrating Project Umbrella's fourth anniversary before downing the shots and cheering on Resident Evil's 20th anniversary. Then as the podcast draws to a close, we'll be spewing up with Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. So lots to talk about. It's a celebratory mood, ladies and gentlemen. So without further ado, we'll start with the news. So the first bit of news is Biohazard Vendetta has been confirmed. Oh, what's that? Yeah, there we go. This is it. This is the new CGI film, the previously announced CGI film starring Leon. Now the title has been confirmed, dispensing with the old name beginning with a D, going with a V for Vendetta instead. This is the latest in the CGI trilogy with Leon S. Kennedy. Interestingly, there's also a link up with the motorcycle company Ducati. That's the only news, it's just the title. So do you think they're kind of just leaving the emotional 
general, you know, response we're going to have to the fact that it doesn't begin with a D. Just, you know, letting that hit first before we get anything else. You can't just begin with a D. <laughs> they could call it by yeah. <laughs> We've got a title and Leon and nothing else, have we, really? Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed by it, to be honest, because there was so much promise of, um, you know, the fact that Rebecca's coming back. I was hoping she'd sort of be the debut. It's interesting that Ducati are promoting this for some inexplicable reason. I suppose we always had Triumph motorcycles were in Metal Gear Solid 3. I assume it's the Ducati Vendetta. Is that the name of its new bike? Wasn't there some sort of announcement at a, like a motorcycle trade show or something? Is right. that what I, I'm sure I read that. Right, so... Uh, so <laughs> instead, Nick, of um, them chasing down Carla in an MX-5, it'll now be on a motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they reckon for the final climatic action sequence. I sense a uh, Mila Jokovic moment through the church. Oh, God. You do realise that because it's sponsored by them, there's going to be, like, Rob's Skype picture just totally reminded me of what I was expecting. Like, you know, the other side of Wimps, we the Pizza Hut and the Pepsi cans. It's that's like people only do things for money. And that's, that's just sad. <laughs> I'm expecting that in, what's it called, Vendetta, where, like, they're sort of talking and Leon turns the face of the camera and goes, good thing I've got my Ducati motorcycle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right, Leon. Be like in the Truman Show, won't it? <laughs> the camera zooms in on his face. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I want that to happen. Please, Capcom. I want that to be a thing. It is a shame, though, isn't it? That, like, you know, a, a debut of this kind of thing should be really exciting, and all Capcom do is use it for a motorcycle connection. The motorcycle is like X Diable. X D I A V E L. That's the name of the actual motorcycle in the. Right. So just really repeating what Sean says, but yeah, it does leave me a bit cold. The fact that. It, this should be a really big deal. You know, it should be a bigger deal, really, to our community than any Paul Anderson release. And all we get is a picture of Leon, a, you know, I find a slightly old, you know, stale character. What about the title of Vendetta? Can we infer anything from, other than the fact that there's a Vendetta somewhere? Is there anything it's even Rebecca, worth guessing? It's Rebecca well, hey, taking umbrage with Capcom for leaving her out of the series for so long. <laughs> it's a big fourth wall Deadpool style break. <laughs> no, I have no idea. I suspect it will be very internal in terms of the game. I mean, I'll throw this one to Batman. Is there anything in the stage play which has Rebecca in that could tie into a vendetta of sorts? Um, not really. The, the stage play does end on a cliffhanger in that the dean of the university escapes with the virus, but I can't think of any particular person that would want to have a vendetta against Leon, Chris or Rebecca. There's slightly Ada, isn't there, with Leon? We've already done that so many times. It's been done a lot. As I say, we've also done Leon and CG films so many times that there's not stopping them. <laughs> Yeah, but I guess. Yeah. I'll say if they did follow up with the Ada storyline, you know it won't be concluded in a random CGI film. So it'd be a total waste of time. I can't remember. Is there anything still left open from that second CG film? Because I would figure these three CG films are all going to tie together. Well, the only interesting thing is that the antagonist of each film was only arrested at the end. They didn't die or mutate. So they could potentially come back. But I think it'd be very, very unlikely. <laughs> Moving on and talking about the stage, almost a sequel to this, Biohazard the Musical is coming out. Entitled Biohazard the Musical, the voice of Gaia. Gaia? Gaia? We'll go for Gaia. The voice of Gaia. G-A-I-A. Gaia. Gaia? Gaia. Who's Gaia? Gaia. The voice of Gaia. This has been announced. This is right up Mr. Spencer's street as it features music and ballet. Hey, Les the Miserables more, was a good musical. The, the more you sort of see of these 20th anniversary celebrations, the more you think they're just getting it so wrong. Do you know the funny thing is, when I was preparing my funny little introduction to this podcast, I didn't know, I hadn't checked the news about Biohazard the musical. So 
as I said earlier, the next logical step in the Biohazard universe. Originally, I had written Biohazard the Musical without knowing that it had already been announced as a complete joke. So I then had to change it to say Biohazard on Ice because that is the next logical step. So, so not only not only have I had successfully predicted uh, a Claire sandwich inadvertently and without ever checking the news, I've predicted Biohazard the Musical. So brace yourself. This Christmas, Biohazard on Ice. Wait, you don't actually think that they're listening to what's on this podcast, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so this musical, aside from featuring uh, high-octane music and ballet, features the actor Rion Yuzuki. Thank you. Um, It'll run in in Tokyo and Osaka, and interestingly, from a canon point of view, it's been overseen by Kobayashi. No, no, it's not. (laughs) Surely a musical cannot be canonical. Surely not. (laughs) <laughs> I saw that story last week of the T-Virus fragrance. Did you see that as well? Oh, yeah. I made the comment about you could wear your fragrance to the musical. Oh, so bad. It's the fragrance kind. It doesn't look like the T-Virus. I can only assume that if the musical's successful, then it will soon be released in cinema, and we can have Pierce Brosnan singing along. <laughs> some it along, sure. <laughs> some random Resident Evil song about... Well, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, whoever thought this was a good idea, I don't know. I mean, you can get away with a stage show i think that's possibly acceptable but a musical i mean you I know just, i just got reminded of like you know that once since episode where you have uh, i think it was bart and melhouse do like a little song and it's like springfield springfield it's a hell of a town but imagine like that in raccoon city yeah <laughs> the only song in the series is alexia's little thing there's nothing to use what, what song is it going to be oh my god i'm trapped the marcus thing you know that he sings on the head oh yes yes that's a good point it's well, gonna it. be leon and Claire in the Ori 2 section going, Raccoon, Raccoon, <laughs> to hell of a town. The school has <laughs> but the shopping mall's down. Look <laughs> out, the zombies! <laughs> the zombie is there, and a liquor on the roof. God help us all. <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webb is going to be behind it. It's going to be the new uh, amazing technical dream of our time. Coming to BBC One. Now, the search is on for your Claire Redfield. Leon S. Kennedy and his amazing technical dream Sean, what are your views on this? I just have no interest with it at all. <laughs> I mean, if it's canon, it's just a headache I'm not looking forward to. I'm not completely against things being made into musicals. One of my favourite episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the musical one, but yes. you could get away with that in a show like Buffy. I mean, how can Capcom expect anyone to truly take this seriously? I mean, just look at the last five minutes that is exactly the kind of reaction you'll be getting across the internet it'll just be people making a complete mockery of it no one will take this seriously at all but then that's maybe not the point I don't know yeah I know but Biohazard's supposed to be dark creepy intense brooding atmosphere you know we don't want something suddenly burst into yeah. sock it's going to be like that fucking sketch from Spaceballs where the bastard alien jumps out of John Hurt and does a tap dancing routine but it worked of... in that context though but I mean you know the whole film is a parody isn't it you could have a really serious scene where, you know, you go, uh, you play, here's Leon, right? Meets Brian Irons, and then suddenly he starts vomiting, he's being sick, and his chest rips open, and it's horrible, and it's full of gore, and then all of a sudden you just hear, like, uh, hello, yeah. my darling, hello, <laughs> you know? <laughs> little G-mutant dude comes out. The thing is, I worry that it's going to be like that. You know, as, as much as it, you're still taking the piss, I actually think that's probably the angle they'll go down. Because, to be honest, if you're going to make something like that, you may as well go ridiculous. You may as well take it to that level. Otherwise, what's the point? He's going to have Claire going around the prison in Revelations just 
singing what she sees. We have oh, Dr. Birkin come out and starts going, Dr. Birkin, Dr. Birkin, Dr. Birkin, Dr. Oh, Dr. Yes, Birkin. That's what I mean. It's just, it's nonsense, isn't it? There's no good that can come from this. Oh, you finally I'm trying really hard to stay focused. I really am, because I've had two breakdowns in two podcasts now, and I really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on for a third, please. Okay. <laughs> on that note, we'll move on to a bit more exciting news. Thank you all for your contributions there. So, if you own a PlayStation 4 or Xbox One, you can look forward to Resident Evil 4, 5, and 6 all coming to your home console later on this year. Resident Evil 6 is being released this week at a cost of $15.99. <laughs> Resident Evil 5 will come later in the summer, and then, uh, rather appropriately, Resident Evil 4 is coming out in the autumn. Uh, naturally, PAL regions will have to have this digitally, but for you Americans out there, you get a nice disc version. And for purists, and for uh, audio files as well, they're all based off the HD PC ports. Uh, will run at 60 frames per second at 1080p full HD, which should look nice. So, will anyone be purchasing these games? I got Resident Evil 6 today. Oh, nice. I think it looks better, noticeably better. Still don't <laughs> think it looks as pretty as Resident Evil 5, but it's definitely crispier. Was there any game... I think there's some tweaks to the handling wasn't in the control system, is that? Oh, I've not got that far yet, but apparently they've made some of the quick time events a bit easier and oh. the vehicle sections a bit easier to control as well. But I've not got that far what yet. I'd already patched in anyway, because I knew <laughs> that they made changes to the, some of the quick time events boss health and controls for one of the main patches originally. I'm looking forward to Resident Evil 4, actually. I've just been looking at some of the old cutscenes from the game and just remembering little highlights from the game. At the time, I was a bit dismissive of it. You know, it was the first major title that completely, you know, went away from the fixed angles. And maybe we'll discuss this in more detail in the in the main discussion with the 20th anniversary. But now looking back, you know, particularly with what came after RE4 and remembering, I mean, you know, the, the scene in the cabin where that's very combat orientated, but really tense. That's one of my favourite moments in the series, actually. So I'm, I'm actually particularly with the upgrade, I'm looking forward to 4. I was saying, that's my issue with this whole re-release is that I don't have any trust that it's going to be a, a quality port. They've already ported the PC version twice uh, and it still needs fan support to make it actually look good like proper HD anyway. It's just another crappy port that now, how many years is it? 11 years on? I just don't get it. I really don't get it. I wish Capcom had just pay off the guy who's working on that uh, fan-made HD project. Just buy all the work he's done and just finish it off themselves, because it'll be far better than anything they'll come up with internally. Yeah, it, it looks well, they've amazing. Been, they've been mm. fixing like not only textures, but actual 3D modelling and mapping and like, yeah. everything. Anywhere that was a rush job has been completely corrected, and they're just slowly making their way through the game. And They're taking their own reference photos, which is just mad. Yeah, yeah. That's dedication, taking your own photographs for textures. I mean, I've got six on the PC, which I don't think there's any difference between the, a fully patched PC version and the HD release. I'll probably pick up five because it'll be nice to have sort of really top quality version of Lost in Nightmares. And I'll only put down money for four, even though I already know they won't. But if they just remastered the separate ways cutscenes in HD, it would just be nice. I was about to ask whether the separate ways is going to get the full treatment. I, well, doubt it, it, I don't even think they have those assets anymore. That's the problem. Uh, it desperately needs it separate. That's why it hasn't been done until now either. Yeah. Mm. Oh well. Oh well. Well that's. Uh, that's for everyone to look forward to.
Uh, the final bit of news, obviously, is we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Resident Evil. There's lots of things that Capcom have been doing, although nothing too major. There's been lots of uh, interviews and retrospectives with developers, and they're on YouTube and Facebook. They're always quite a good listen. Um, and they've also put some discounts online for some of the old games, and the main Resident Evil website has also been updated. Has anyone else here been... I mean, I don't want to be too negative. Keep an open mind for what's going to be coming out in the preceding weeks. But so far, has anyone else been a bit unimpressed with what Capcom have released? Uh, the Facebook page mainly seems to just post cosplay and a couple of developers diaries that kind of reminded us of how good the series used to be well they're obviously building up to the big release of umbrella corpse <laughs> it's a good point though because they did loads of stuff for the 15th anniversary what did they do for the 15th because i was about to say they didn't do very much for the fifth the main thing was in japan was the release of uh, the uh, suitcase with all the games in it yeah. um, with whiskers report and then on the 10th they pretty much just made released a couple of collection sets for the gamecube and ps2 and then that was it like the, the <laughs> So I can't even remember the 15th. What was the 15th? The 15th, they released this really cool box set for the entire series. Obviously, it only came out in Japan. I think it contained every game in the series, and you got some like little umbrella lapels and like an RPD police card. I'm, I'm surprised they've not done like a 20th anniversary version. I think it's hard because now it's got to the point where there's only one platform you can play every game from start to finish now currently available it's not even a current generation console so aside from that there's not really it would be very hard to box a set I think yeah, yeah true more about announcements and news and stuff even this has been pretty crazy but I think they've got this intent to do it over the next 12 months rather than all at once but yeah I mean I think Pokemon is also it's 20th anniversary they're doing the same thing they've been drip feeding information throughout the course of the year over various little things so I expect come what, E3 maybe we'll have our first big showing of Resident Evil 2 remake or something like that. I still think that's a long way off. I don't think we'll hear anything about that till towards the end of the year. But it makes you wonder where exactly they are with Resident Evil 7 because it's been uh, four years now, is it, since Resident Evil 6? And that's probably the longest amount of time Capcom have ever gone between at least announcing numbered titles. I know they're busy with Remake 2, but it makes you wonder just how far along they are with it. Do you think that delay has anything to do with the critical response to RE Six and I mean, do you think that Capcom would even be swayed at all by any negative response to RE6 and how they go forward with RE7? Because they just seem so blind continually. Well, there's so many times now. Yeah, but they're not going to change it much because, like it or hate it, Resident Evil 6 sold nearly 7 million copies and Remake and Zero, mm-hmm. no matter how pretty they are, no matter how old school they are, that you're just never going to get anywhere near the same amount of numbers because mm-hmm. gaming's just changed too much. Yeah, even those digital sales, I mean, Remake got 1.2 or whatever, I don't know if I see any numbers on Zero, but I mean, yeah, it clearly tells you that no matter how much good reviews they got, great comments they got about it, not selling anywhere near the numbers that they more actiony modern titles have been even if the reviews were terrible at the end of the day as a matter of the money's being made I think there's going to be two ways we're going to either carry on with the numbered ones being like they are and they'll carry on with the Revelations sub-brand which is more horror based and they'll continue to push how horror they can go until a Revelations title sells on par with a numbered game is possibly when they'll take interest I think you're right, but at the same time, I'm wondering if Capcom have already rebooted the series, so to speak, in terms of, instead of moving forward with Resident Evil 7, they're like, well, let's just go back and remaster, you know, all previous series. And I think if they remake 2 and 3, because I think 3 is just a given at this point, that'll keep us all happy, or Capcom will think that'll keep us all happy for the next two or three years. Because the story is broken, there's nowhere really for the story to go. But my concern with that is I can see with, if you remake, 
2 and 3. So let's say then your current generation consoles have 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 accessible as of the end of this year. So then they have to go somewhere. They can't just... They've got no more titles to remaster at that point. Oh, so yeah. something has to give, whether or not that happens and as an announcement this year or not. It's um, yeah. it's interesting. I think um, Kabayashi's in that same position that Yamioka was for Silent Hill. That he's become a producer not because he wanted to, but because he's the only one left. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't really know where he's going with the franchise. He's just kind of having to deal with everyone else's requests and fan demand and, and the whole thing's in limbo, basically. I think that's why we have got Revelations 2 and Remake 2 and potentially Outbreak HD and Remake 3 because they just don't know where to go after 6. No, we all say how important each game was. I mean, 5 was going to be critical, then 6. If 7 is as we think it may be, they'll be able to use that information up against, as you said, all the remade games and perhaps even the Outbreak HD remake if that happens and whether that will be successful or will it just be a case of how much does Remake 2 sell versus how much Resident Evil 7 sells and the winner will carry on like that? Well, I think Remake 2 is the key, isn't it? It's, it's all going to depend on how it looks and how it plays because if it's not classic camera angles, etc., it's going to alienate a lot of people and if it doesn't sell and it fails, I do believe it could spell the end of the franchise or it will make Capcom go into full reboot mode. Right, well, there we go. That concludes the news. So we now move on to our sub-discussion. We're celebrating four years of the Project Umbrella podcast. It just doesn't make sense. Do you honestly believe this to be the real identity of that crazy young man? Impossible. But if somehow it is true, that umbrella will be finished. If the old conspiracy against Dr. Marcus is revealed, Mr. Spence's career will be over. Not to mention ours, too. So the time has come at last. What are you going to do? I will simply say goodbye to Umbrella. The biological weapon utilizing the T-Virus has almost been completed. Our only remaining task is to acquire combat data. You can't be serious. I refuse to abandon my work. I finished my research on the T-Virus, but I need a little more time to complete the more powerful G-Virus. Do as you wish. I will follow my initial plan and lure the STARS members into the mansion. Their superior combat training should make them perfect test subjects. <laughs> Five. In the meantime, something must be done about that madman. As I recall, URC is equipped with a self-destruct device in the basement. I'll find it, set it off, and annihilate the place to nothing more than a mass of rubble. Project Umbrella. Fucking one take. Fucking one take. <laughs> I think that was a wonderful tribute to Resident Evil. The impressions of Stars Tyrant and Mr. Spencer. So yes, it has been four years since we first graced the airways with our dulcet tones and started to talk in excessive detail about our favourite game series. You can now listen to all our Project Umbrella podcast on the internet. Um, I can't remember the name of that. What's the, what's the name of that bloody thing we set up? Projectumbrella.podbean.com There we go. I knew it was something weird. So yes, you can listen to all our titles there and listen back to our early predictions and uh, hopes and fears for the series going on. I, I'm sure if you listen back to some of the old ones, you'll be amazed at how wrong we were with some discussions and how right we were with the future of the series and how basically our discussions have not changed at all. 
really, in moving forward. We I don't really think we're any further forward than we have been in terms of a good, proper sequel uh, in the mould and fashion that we would like. So we kind of, uh, on PU, decided that it would be fun. I'm not f- quite sure for who, but we thought it'd be fun to get together some of the staff and do a podcast um, with as much user participation in as possible uh, with MP3 records. I mean, it was a, a bit of a rip-off of the RPD dispatch, which, Mr. Spencer, you were a part of, were you not? Uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that was a set. We, we wanted to include Mr. Spencer for his um, quipes should I say? Well, it's like if this podcast was a, a Republican Party on the podium, as you have a little sort of debate, live debate, you know. If this was one of those like live debates, I'd be Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can see, as part of the recruiting process for the Project Umbrella podcast, it was essential that we had Mr. Spencer on board to insert his particular brand of humour to lighten it up because we can be very crass at times and very humdrum uh, I think it's always important and you're a welcome addition to the team Mr Spencer Trump 2016 (laughs) (laughs) Um, we also needed someone on board who actually knew a lot about the series that instantly ruled me out although I wanted to host it for my own egocentrical and world-dominating views, I thought I should host the thing. But we needed someone who certainly knew their stuff, so it was important that we got Batman on board, as he was able to demonstrate a clear knowledge of the series. And you were happy to come along, and then when we spoke to him over Skype the first time, we found that he had a funny northern accent, which <laughs> only made it you know, amusing. And it kind of countered my um, rather posh tone, Although I'm not posh, I have a, I admit that oh, I, come I, on. I sound I sound quite posh. I'm not posh, but I sound quite posh. So I say I, castle, castle. Yeah, see, <laughs> <don't want> <laughs> too many A's in that. Too many A's. <laughs> so for that reason, we needed Batman, of course, and we all know how well he's done over the years on the Project Umbrella quiz on the quiz and uh, without him, otherwise everyone would be getting zeros and ones. He uh, adds a degree of respectability. So very useful. Thanks, um, Nick. I'll, uh, I'll pay you later for that. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, the other original podcaster here was George Trevor. I can't remember why we added George. Um... <laughs> I, I can actually, I can actually remember on the forum. John said, "George, why don't you join on? You're quite popular on the boards." <laughs> this was ages ago when we were just discussing it. Was that Nicholson or was that me? Yeah, not you. Okay. You would have said something as nice as that. Yeah. We were all pleasantly surprised by George's participation. Of course, that spawned his own website. Uh, we were able to um, bounce off one another. And he does his own podcast now. Certainly a well-valued member of the team. And certainly adds a lot of comedic value as well. Not intentionally, though. <laughs> no. Without doubt, his biggest contribution is noises, dots, clatters, something falling in the background. Horn in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Not guilty. It was you. Come on now. So um, I think the podcast isn't as isn't as refreshing, should I say, without George Trump. Since then, we've added a few more people to the podcast. We've had Stars Tyrant. Hello. Now this was a personal crusade. I think of most of us. We all felt that we needed a type. One other person that actually knew about the series. <laughs> yeah. yeah so John was. John kind of felt a bit alone. John was being drowned out by people going, <laughs> "Resident what?" <laughs> <laughs> I think, to be honest, I, I just begged, didn't I, for the... Uh, I think it was Dead Aim one was my first one, wasn't it? That was correct. We had you on as a guest, and you had your it's, wonderful interlude. That's still one of my favourite ones. It's, for Dead it's Aim. really interesting, because you know, like before I even met Sean, before I even spoke to him, and this was back 
back when uh, he was on, uh, what was it? Um, Ari Hara, that was it. Yeah, that's it. And I remember at the time, and I'm so sorry for this, but I remember at the time, back when I was on The Horrors Alive, there must have been something like a competitive element or something between the sites. It was like us versus them because you were at the side of them. You know, you weren't us. And I thought, oh, he's in there with Alexia and I don't like her very much. And I bet he's an arse. I bet he's in that same little band of people. And you know what? I feel really bad. I'm, I'm glad that I was wrong in my assumptions because uh, when I got to speak with you, you're actually a really awesome bloke. And I'm thank glad you. I spoke to you. I, yeah. I remember some of those early uh, early rivalries. I remember I had a conversation once. It was a private conversation. He'll not remember it. With Dot 50 Cal once where he was, he was almost interrogating me, I think, over why I'd come over to... Um, Thaya, because after I'd had the big fallout with R.E.H. over the Resident Evil 5 spoilers being put all over the front page, I, I said I was leaving them behind. And I remember I got contacted about, like, you know, was I spying or something like that? And, and that's how <laughs> ridiculous we used to be back then. You know, you couldn't just, you couldn't cross the water to the other side without all sorts of looks or, you know, it was so ridiculous. It's amazing how sort of unified the communities come as the years have gone on and we don't really have that anymore. There isn't really any kind of website rivalry anymore is there it's so websites well yeah <laughs> yeah so uh it was felt by the team that we should certainly add stars tyrant to the podcast it helps with the uh certainly timeline and um is a keen battler of the quiz with batman certainly and our final regular podcaster is now rombie hey. it goes without <laughs> saying that um he's probably the most legendary member of the team absolutely certainly if you whisper his name in any forums oh, it's rombie it's rombie oh yes i remember him anyone who's been around long enough will certainly be aware of his presence we we're being called up by the equality and diversity commission and it was felt that there were far too many english people on the project on the podcast so we thought we better fulfill our quota and get someone from elsewhere so yeah, it was important to uh, broaden our horizons and try and make it slightly awkward to arrange these podcasts by having someone on the other side of the world I'm amazed to actually be like chatting with him because I remember this must have been back in 2002 or something like that, 2002, 2003. And uh, this was when I was about 15 or something like that, 14 or 15. And I remember being on like, um, what was your site called again, Rumby? Oh, Legendary. I just forgot. It just blanked. I'm sorry. It was already fun, I think it was. Yeah. So that was Larry Fan. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And I remember I was sort of, and I heard in the caption contests because you had those caption contests things going on and uh, and then I saw these names like there was Rudy and there was Rumb and I was like oh they're like the admins in this place like I was, I was enamored by this site because I loved the caption contest and I was like wow who are these guys I bet they'd never ever talk to me at some point I bet they're really cool people <laughs> And yet, here we are today, in 2016. It's amazing. RE Fan New Blood was the first Resident Evil website I stumbled across. Well, I didn't stumble, I was looking for one. I just put Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3, the GameCube versions, in my room up next to each other, like like books in the library. And I just remember looking at them thinking, wow, this is like a real series that's developing and I'm really love. And so I just went on the internet and came across that and, and saw Rombie on that straight away. Yeah, that years ago. So yeah, it's great to be doing a podcast with you now. So that's the, I suppose that's the team, as it were. I mean, originally we also had uh, Newsbot as a regular podcast and of course one of the founding members and now uh, owner if you like of Project Umbrella uh, the website um, he certainly bought 
gravitas to our early podcasts, which was an interesting playoff against Mr. Spencer. I did like his sort of deadpan yes. sort of attitude he had. Exactly. It was like Jack D on Shooting Stars, you know, we'd try and aggravate him and he just wouldn't really have any of it. So over the years, we've had a lot of special guests as well as uh, Stars Tyrant City was originally a um, special guest before being upgraded. I always felt when we first discussed doing it, it was important to have a quiz, not necessarily for people to test their knowledge, although inadvertently that's what it is. It was more of a case of trying to end a podcast in a lighter mood because we quickly established that unless we were talking about Dead Aim, most podcasts would end on a sour note. Or the uh, remake. Or the remake, yeah, or the remake. I'll, I'll add that one in. Probably oh, like Zero, didn't we? I did. <laughs> point. There's my point. So it is very hard for all of us to have a, a general consensus that left us going, yeah, biohazard. Which is why a quiz is always amusing. And of course, been very popular, not just with us, but um, I've been very grateful, as anyone will testify, with people providing the questions and helping me out enormously. So we are hoping that Mr. Spencer will host another edition of Biohazard Stars sometime in the future. So I just wondered, starting with Batman, was there any particular favourite moment that you've had during the podcast? I would say my favourite moment was when George Trevor got himself a proper microphone after two years. (laughs) So I was no longer losing what felt like generations of my life, editing out all these strange, weird little noises. (laughs) And yet they still somehow feature... I can't believe we're still going after 33 episodes. It's unbelievable. I I didn't expect us to do any more than four or five when we first started. Especially when we ran out of games. Yeah. (laughs) George, you've been around for a long time on the podcast. Did you have a a favourite moment? Um... I, well, yeah, the moment when I didn't literally shit myself um, with nerves <laughs> leading up to them. I remember a couple in the early days just wimping out of just not doing them. So I, was, I got too nervous of these like these heavyweights I was sharing a forum with and Mr. Spencer. And um... <laughs> Why does it always come back to me, that kind of level of shit? I was like, what is it? I... Carry on, carry on. So I love doing the quiz. Good. And... Um, obviously, the live get together. It was a shame we didn't meet up with Sean, but you know, it was good to see you guys. See Nick running around the streets of Bristol in a white coat. That was fun. <laughs> Mr. Spence, I'd say it's not so much as a particular moment, but to continue what John was saying about how we kept on going for so long, is that I was on the OPD dispatch, and that went on for a fair while. But over time, it became really diluted, and you had all these new people on. And it lost its character. It lost what it was over time, and eventually it fizzled out. What I like is the fact that we're still going for a long time, maybe even longer than the OPD dispatch at this point. But despite having, you know, we've had like guests come on, we've had like new hosts come in. We've never really lost the core of what the podcast is when it first started out. We've never really lost the heart of it. It's always yeah. remained this like as it is. It, like we started recording today, this evening on the 29th of March, 2016. It's exactly the same as it would be five years ago when we first started out. You know, maybe we've improved a lot in terms of our confidence in that, but at its core, it's remained the same. We haven't sold out we haven't been sort of filtered out and watered down to all these different hosts coming in we've had new people yeah but at its core it's remained true to itself and that's what i like about this podcast the most 
Mm. What John says, I echo. We have a laugh, but we also we discuss the series in in quite serious detail as well, though. And I learn stuff from listening to you guys. So I'm sure there's so many people out there that are really getting a lot from listening to some of the information I do as well that some of you guys are sharing. Stars. I think one of the highlights for me was obviously as a big fan of Resident Evil Five in particular. I feel like John and I we really fought the corner of that game pretty well in that podcast. And the feedback we got got a couple of people on Twitter, I think, agreeing with some of the points we made and even like I think one person said that we'd help them see it in a different light and a different like level of appreciation and when you do that to a fan when you actually do that to somebody you know you you've actually helped change of perception or whatever it's really cool and I think that's what we've, we've probably done over the years we've helped people see the difference you know we've found things to celebrate in some of the horror titles um, I really enjoyed the Revelations 2 episodic stuff we did I think um, for all the criticism that surrounded that game's distribution I actually think being able to come in every week and see how it unfolded was really fun and speculate where it was going and I think probably the funniest moment was a very early on rant Mr Spencer had at the fan base where he just basically referred to them all as uh, as, uh, as the C word <laughs> and it just it went on if you go I think it's probably the Dead Aim podcast actually it goes on for yeah, about I think five, it is. Yeah. five yeah. minutes and it just attacks everybody from Jill Valentine supporters it started with the Jill yeah it started, that's where it started yeah <laughs> It's well worth a listen to uh, if you want to go back and give yourselves a giggle. There was a lot of rage in him that day. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. There's been so many. They blur into one. Uh, what about yours, Nick? Mine. Well, we'll do, we'll do mine a bit. We'll finish with Rombies first. I was just going to say, you guys have given me a bit of a, a new lease on life as far as the franchise has gone. I think in some ways in the last few years I've been a bit jaded more than... I know it sounds funny because we are generally quite negative as a bunch <laughs> <laughs> about most games. But it's that point of being able to discuss what we're thinking about the franchise and how things have been progressing. That's kind of given me a bit of a kickstart and interest on it again because there was a few years there where I just was like Resident Evil eh, I can't be bothered eh. I mean I remember joining John on the dispatch a few times and at that stage it was like a new resurgence and in interest around Resident Evil 5 I think it was at that stage but that just dropped off in the kind of year or so afterwards and I think that was where I really had low interest so it, just coming on and, and chatting with you guys and having a laugh and is pretty much my highlight I think uh, over the past couple of years hmm. I think I would agree uh, certainly with regards to the, the interest in this series I have no doubt that if this is very from a personal point of view if we weren't still doing this I think I would have stopped caring a long time ago but I think the miracle of our podcast is firstly that it's kept going as Batman said no one was really predicting that it would carry on but also that hopefully it comes across but it's genuinely funny and we have such a giggle doing it and I hope our enthusiasm for the series, despite the negativity, does come through and that we could all have a laugh in talking about the series. My personal highlight was speaking to DC Douglas, something which I find very surreal because he's become such a big celebrity in the Resident Evil world. You know, he's like the creme de la creme of voice actors. It was quite surreal speaking to him, and we're all very nervous, but thankfully one podcaster was very relaxed and decided to unzip trousers. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down, am I? It was, it was, it, I think his reaction was perfect it, as well. It was. He was so professional. It was like, I'm just going to stop you there. Um, <laughs> and... I don't think he minded, because he, he knew it was someone taking the jeans off, and he knew it, but he didn't care. He didn't care. He liked it. He liked it. Let's all get naked, why not? You know? yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's worth saying that that was a highlight as well. 
getting, getting <laughs> DC. It was for our little podcast where, you know, let's look at the equipment that we use, a laptop and a headset, or in George's case, a laptop. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know... As you said, the cores stay together. I'd like to think, this is not us being egotistical or anything like that. I just, I think it's remained funny. And podcasts, I think, especially our one, I, I think if it became too drab and boring, then we would just stop doing it. But because we all have our own views, quite differing views on a lot of things, and our own personalities, I think it, it becomes a, a funny it's thing. It's right works, isn't it? Right yeah, works. yeah, it, it can be difficult. And I think really early on, we were quite adamant that there should only really be about five or six people only on it ever one go. I think one of the big problems RPD had dispatched right at the end, that they had like eight people and it was impossible to keep up who was talking, who was... I mean, I'm not being horrible to them, I'm sure they won't care, but they kept changing all the time, so it was hard to work out who said that, who was that? Uh, whereas we would only ever have one guest on, and that voice would be new, and then you'd once you listen to it, you'd forget about it, if you know what I mean, in terms of who that person was, whereas I think RPD just changed all the time, so it was really hard to keep track of what's going on. So I, I think that helped. I don't know. I, I hope we carry on going forward. I think I think our current regime of when there's issues that come up, such as uh, new game releases, and then we do a podcast after that, I think that keeps everyone interested, and yeah, we'll, we'll carry on. Here's to five more years, gentlemen. Oh, Christ. <laughs> I don't see why not. I don't see why. Well, unless Capcom have other plans. I think it's interesting though, because if you look at the series as a whole, it's more or less doubled in content since we started. Because when we did the first ever episode, I think Lost in Nightmares was the latest piece of media that was out. So if you look at the amount of titles we've had since then, you know, it's uh, it's been a hell of yeah. a lot. And it's still in good shape, perhaps financially. It's perhaps us only grumpy gits that get annoyed with the series because it's not how it was in my day. So, uh, yeah. As I said, five more years, I see no problem. All I would say is brace yourself there for a hate-filled Resident Evil 2 remake podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yes there we go that's four years since the first podcast um, entitled Zero which was a preview for 2012 as Bat says we we have come a long way there's been lots of things out since then and we hope we can carry on filling the air with our amusing tales I actually want us to go back and well, at some point I want to go back and have a listen to that very first podcast I don't know if anyone else wants to do that but just have a listen to see how far we've come you, you, should, you should do that it's quite amusing all the hallmarks are there all the foundations are there and I will argue Nick that you've become as much of a staple in this <laughs> podcast as Terry Wogan was for Radio 2. Well, there we go. <laughs> Not quite sure I'm on that level, I'll be honest. But um, I wouldn't rule out a knighthood. Right. Uh, <laughs> moving on, we are now going to discuss the main issue of the day. It's happy birthday, Resident Evil. You are 20 years old today. monsters from Umbrella have destroyed my beautiful town. How could they do that to me after everything I've done for them? The stars are finished. Someone is a traitor. Umbrella set us up. Ada. So it is true. True? About what? You, working with Wesker. I see you've been doing your homework. 
Wesker succeeds, Uroboros will be spread across the globe. Millions will die. All for Umbrella's sake. Umbrella? He's a survivor of Raccoon City. We can do without the extra distraction. Take him out. And the dead will flood the streets. Deja vu, boys. Raccoon revisited. Why are you doing this? What do you accomplish by unleashing Ouroboros? Every day, humans come one step closer to self-destruction. I'm not destroying the world. I'm saving it. I was to become a god, creating a new world with an advanced race of human beings. They're going to launch a missile directly into the city as soon as day breaks. So, as I said, it's the 20th anniversary of Biohazard. We're all celebrating. We are partying the night away. It's been <laughs> 20 years since Resident Evil 1 first graced the PlayStation 1, the Sega Saturn, and the PC. I suppose the question, the biggest question, has the game evolved to a satisfactory level? Or is there still the rose-tinted glasses that the first games and by first games maybe one two three are the pinnacle of survival horror so have the games developed well enough to celebrate 20 years i don't think that any of us here could fairly answer that question because each of us when we were younger and therefore we had that sort of you know got a younger mind you're more sort of easily amused by things, so I say, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when each of us was younger, we're all at the certain generation, same generation, more or less, except for Paul, he's like 50 or something, right? <laughs> but we're all more or less the same generation. And when we were younger, we would say, oh, yeah, you know, Ori 2 or Ori 1 or Ori 3 were the games that we grew up with, the games that we had the nostalgia factor in there. We had the, the memories of it. So it would seem very unfair I feel for any of us to qualify to answer the question because we'd be giving it in a, a very subjective viewpoint where we'd just be saying, right, it's from our, I mean, yeah, it is from our perspective, but I think it'll be very unfair to games like, you know, Ori 5 or Ori 4, where, you know, a bit more ahead of our time. I don't know, but I think there's some people who might be new to the first game was Ori 4 and they might think, oh, that's the best game or whatever, Ori 5 is the best game, Ori 6 maybe, you know. So, I don't know, I, I guess I'm saying your mileage may vary. I think it's a testament to the series that it's still going now. I mean, you can criticise all the latest games all you want, but the fact that it's still going strong after 20 years is enormous credit to Capcom, really. I was just glad I was the age I was when the first game came out. I was in my early teens, and I think that was the perfect age to experience the game. I remember my first experience of it was watching a friend play it. I had no idea what it was, what the story was or anything, but I, I was just remember being so captivated by the change in camera angles and just thinking to myself, God, this is this is an interactive film that you can actually play through and control. And 
I was used to platform games like Sonic the Hedgehog and beat 'em ups like Streets of Rage 2, and this this was just, mm. just something incredible. You know, I'd never seen anything like it before. An adventure is what it felt like. First time I played it was on the Saturn. I went when the Great Divide came after <laughs> the Mega Drive and SNES. I I went to the Saturn because I was quite you know quite partial to Sega, and uh, I always remember when Resident Evil debuted on the PlayStation. I was so jealous. It was, you know, I was only 13 at the time, and I just thought, fucking hell, I don't know what that is. I'd only seen it from screenshots in magazines and stuff, but it just looked amazing. And then all of a sudden there was an announcement a few months later that it was coming to the Saturn, and I got it as soon as it came out. No, I didn't actually. It was a Christmas present for 1997. Um, so I was a good sort of 18 months after its original release when I got around to playing it. And I'll just never, ever forget that feeling of being stood in the main hall with all these doors I can potentially go through. And, like, I had no idea which way to go. I had no idea what the story was. But I was completely captivated straight away. And there has never been, I don't think, even all these years later... A moment in the series that even even the remake because even you, you knew the template in the remake you know you knew it was based on the design of the original game whereas that very first time to be stood in that mansion and have no idea what to do or where to go was i, I don't think it's really been bettered in the series in terms of just pure mystery no hand holding as they said and I, I think i think you're right i mean the sake saturn was in my opinion the definitive version of the original game although it wasn't in color was it the it was the did the Sega Saturn have the coloured version? No, it was the censored version. Oh, the Saturn, okay. okay. But it was just that difference from the previous generation. I think the jump from 16-bit to 32-bit was so huge. More so than perhaps even... Any th- other. I think so. I, I suppose yeah. most missed the 64-bit because it was only on one system. But, you know, on 16-bit, as you said, Sonic the Hedgehog, Mario... I mean, the pinnacle of the SNES was the, with the FX chip, wasn't it? So you had, like... The scope games and uh, Donkey Kong, Star Fox was probably the best thing you could get out of the snares. It was to do with the production as well, wasn't it? It, it, it was. was the, the sheer amount of detail you had in the backgrounds and, and the fact that it was, was voice acted, albeit badly, but at the yeah, time we didn't really know much too. better. You know, it was still quite a landmark, you know. And then the files, I think the files were a big turning point. Yeah. I know they sort of hark, you know, they went back to a lot of how text adventures and things used to work. But it presented story in a way that I don't think we were really used to at the time. Mm. My experience, some of the things that Sean and Bats just mentioned, just that you'd never experienced anything like that. And, you know, just standing presented with this world to explore and you just didn't know where to go. I had a Nintendo 64 and I was always singing its praises over the PlayStation 1, which was hard to do. And there were hardly any adult themed games for it. You know, you had Star Fox. Uh, which is incredible. And then Resident Evil 2 came out on the Nintendo 64, and I was just intrigued by the fact that it was a sequel. And I was, you, you know, I was aware in the magazines, there was a huge fuss about it. I'd never played, I'd never even heard of Resident Evil up to being aware of RE2 on the Nintendo 64. And I just, yeah, I, I can remember like what John says, it just being mesmerised by walking into the RPD for the first time and just being almost overwhelmed with curiosity and, and, and just passion to explore this world and what Star says the files presenting a story in a, in a way I was an RPG fan so I, I like that element that storytelling It kind of reminded me of something where I've always liked mysteries and things like I've always loved that kind of storytelling and when I you turn you play Ori 2 and you turn up at the RPD it's sort of like it's weird because at the time the game wants you to feel you know panicked you know the zombies are closing in around you you're panicking you want to you know get to safety but for me it was like 
I just want to know what happened here. What caused this? I need to know what caused this. Who's behind it? Where did it come from? I mean, why is that monster look like that? Why has he got that on his face? Why is this going on? Like, I wanted to know these things. I was really curious. It might have been because I was probably borderline autistic when I was a kid, but I was really interested in like getting to know, like, learn the mystery behind Vori Two. So, Rombi, of course, it had a huge impact on you that caused you to set up a website yeah it's interesting because i was thinking about this the other day like most people don't know this but i the first time i actually ever saw the game was actually being displayed in a electronic shop and there was a guy yelling at the screen basically and yelling at the clerk about how amazing the game was he'd never seen anything like it and i just saw him like somewhere i think above maybe above the main hall or the dining room just walking around in circles and i looked at it and went what the hell is this like i was like this looks terrible like didn't have any idea what the game was about like it just seeing this guy like controlling it would have been cross circles i was like this looks stupid like whatever um and it wasn't until uh, about a week later i was around a friend's place and and they were playing the game they'd rented it out or something and his brother had been raving about it and saying how amazing it was and i sat down and played it. i was like wow this is what how did i not see this when the guy was playing it? this is so much fun like i exploring this mansion not knowing what like, was around each corner uh and yeah the mystery of what was actually what had caused the outbreak in the in the mansion what why all these crazy creatures and um, giant snakes and all that sort of stuff so i got enamored pretty quickly and um i guess yeah the internet was kind of much more young and innocent back then so it was a lot easier to start making your own websites and so i would i did the same thing you guys did like it was was look online and see what was there and then and my difference at that stage was that there was a bunch of very 90s geocity sites and then a few kind of semi-professional ones that at least by 90 standards and i just started making contacts and went, oh, it's, it's a good idea for me to to start my own site i wrote a guide the first thing i wrote was a guide to the original game and then i started writing news articles and it kind of just kind of snowballed from there i think it's safe to say that well the fact that we're still talking about it 20 years later suggests that all our first impressions and experiences with the series has been overwhelmingly positive for us to want to continue onwards the question is why <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, no in some ways you're right George. why why have we carried on I think it's the fact that it was so groundbreaking and it was, uh, for me anyway, playing that was unlike anything I'd played before, so I was hooked on the gameplay. And like John says, the mansion itself as a location was so memorable and the graphics for the time were so detailed. You really did, you know, read the files and wonder, you know, what was it like, the researchers in this mansion, you know, what was the day-to-day running of it like? And I remember my very first playthrough, I was was at sleepover with a couple of my friends and we stayed up all night playing it and we could only find two of the crests, so we never even got out of the mansion and we must have spent four hours just wandering through all these empty rooms because we'd killed all the zombies um, and we still didn't get bored by it so it was the way it played the way it looked and also the storyline for me because when i first played it i thought chris and jill were basically Mulder and scully and it was going to be supernatural the mansion was going to be full of zombies and ghosts but obviously it turned out to be this viral outbreak that made it sort of semi-realistic and then you had all these subplots and conspiracies of your team being led there as test subjects i thought the story was very deep and very groundbreaking for its day and it that storyline from that very first game is a big reason why I still follow the series today. I would agree with that. I think um, I think the storyline is probably the sole reason now why most of us are still here. Because if it was just based on gameplay experiences alone, something like six or you know maybe even something like five would have killed it off. And indeed, I don't know whether I would be as invested in five 
were it not for the story beats that that game gives me. When I celebrate 5, and like I did in the podcast, I don't celebrate it for its mechanics necessarily. I praise it for what it did with the story and the characters. Mm. And I think what John's just said about the storyline for the series is, you know, I would say it is the reason why we are still here. And I still think that's the reason why we're so stubborn. You know, and and you only have to look at something like the uh, Umbrella Corps uh, announcement. You know, when that debut trailer, everyone tore it to pieces, but yet the moment Capcom just throw you a crumb <laughs> that there might be some story-based stuff in there, people are already starting to be open-minded about the project. And that speaks volumes about how we, and we shouldn't see, be. It, see its story. And that's why we condemned like something like Operation Raccoon City so much, because as soon as it was non-canon, it became irrelevant immediately. On the same note as that, I wouldn't say that that's exclusive phenomenon to the uh, Resident Evil community or the Capcom community because if you look at Blizzard for example, you look at World of Warcraft and everyone says oh this expansion was terrible, it was awful it was really bad oh wait there's a new expansion, maybe it'll be better, let's all pre-order it right away, you know, and then they get disappointed it's a cycle and it's, it's, a, it's a fucking cycle and Blizzard know this, and we all know this but, you know, I think it's still a similar sort of deal Mm. Uh, in Capcom, you know, Resident Evil. I wouldn't disagree with that. So I think that's where 4 is such a turning point for a lot of people is because it's that moment where they disregarded a lot of story and changed the gameplay up. And while people really like the game for what it is, for the old school fans, it's that line in the sand because of such a, a huge difference in where the story had been going up until that point. And that's why perhaps everything afterwards has kind of felt like either catching up or trying to retie back in. And, that, and, and that's one of those things where people get yeah, that that is that difference between old school and new school fan yeah. for lack of term even though new school is now 11 plus years but having said that though I will say that when Resident Evil 4 came out I had similar experiences playing it in that it felt groundbreaking this new over the shoulder camera this new control and aiming system that Capcom had worked out it was just so fun to play and they, they struck it gold before the yeah. opening act the opening act in the village, you know, up to the bingo comment. I mean, it is a brilliant set piece, and it's, it was a different type of fear. But do you separate it from the original games? Like, I, I totally agree. Like, Level 4 is a great game, but it's one of those things where I see the difference between like, the pre-RE4 and the post-RE4 franchise. So yes. That... I think it's fairly obvious that Separate Ways was made as a sort of knee-jerk reaction to the backlash to the story that the fans had. Because yeah. I don't, I don't think Separate Ways was intended from the very beginning. I think it definitely came after. People probably who know the production of the game quite well. I mean, you know, was Separate Ways always a planned thing, or did that storyline come after the the core game was finished? Well, it was it was written by um, obviously Mikami drafted the scenario for the main game, didn't he? And Separate Ways was written by someone completely different. Yeah, that to me feels like it was trying to say, you know, come on. Come on, you old fans! Let's get you back on board. We'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll do our best. We'll put you in some uh, nostalgic references. Mm. Bring Wesker back because we know you like that kind of thing. And, uh... <laughs> so sure, you sort of made me think of like you know like a dad that's trying to cheer up his son. It's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, what's this? Is that? 
oh, it's Albert Wesker. Yeah. You know, but, <laughs> but, like but Wesker, sim- don't you? Yeah, he's got his sunglasses on. Similar to what, similar to what Rombie's just said a, a, a moment ago. That is the Capcom that's always trying to catch up now. You know, it's almost like they make a mistake. They realise they've upset the fans, and then they think, "Fuck, you know, we need to get them back on board." So they give you, you give you something like a train wreck. That is Resident Evil Six. So then, what do they do next? They do a bit of research, realise people want Barry back, and then we get Revelations 2. And Revelations 2 isn't half bad, you know. But ironically, I think for Capcom themselves, it was the lack of story in Resident Evil 4 that made them realise just how important it was to people. Because Mm. it was Flagship and Sigimura. They were the only people who really sort of drove the story forward and made any kind of effort with it. And when Resident Evil 4 had such a negative backlash for its narrative, Capcom really tried hard after that. We got Umbrella Chronicles which tried to, mm. you know, give us a proper end to Umbrella and filled in a lot of gaps from the first trilogy, and then obviously Resident Evil 5. I still remember driving home with my copy of Resident Evil 5, and I'd never been so excited to play a game. And I, and I, wasn't, I didn't particularly give a shit about the game, it was just the story, because it felt like a culmination of everything, you know, since the very beginning. So I got into the series through uh, accident more than design, should we say. I think Resident Evil 2 had just come out, and my friend at the time had purchased that, and he was happy to sell the old game to me. So I bought that game off him and fell in love with the series thereafter. Skipped Resident Evil 2 and got Resident Evil 3, and then Survivor for Christmas, and then eventually went back to 2, and then Director's Cut, and then... Well, the rest was history, and then it, then it became a uh, a point of buying a particular console for a particular game series. How did Survivor feel without the weight of the series behind it? That's a very interesting question, because everyone loves Resident Evil 2. For me, Resident Evil 2 is not as high up in my list as it is for other people's list. So you're right, I didn't quite have the anticipation and then disappointment, if you like, of Survivor. But I've always liked Survivor. I mean, it's crap with a gun. My mum bought me the gun. She obviously upsold it at Electronics Boutique or something like that. But I don't know. I think it's so B-movie, Survivor, that it, it harks back to the first game in terms of its absolute cheesiness. So um, I did not not enjoy it. I think what annoyed me more was the fact that I couldn't save it. You had to do it all in one go. But thankfully, I was in an age where I could do that. Didn't have any responsibilities, so that's how I kind of got into the series. Yeah, I avoided the Dreamcast, hoping that it would come out on PlayStation Two, and then only picked up Code Veronica. Only picked up PlayStation Two, should I say, when Code Veronica was announced, and then went to extreme lengths of getting Gaiden, and then a GameCube. So yeah, it was very good. So um, that's how I kind of started the series. So I think we are today celebrating 20 years of Resident Evil, and that's a remarkable achievement in anyone's standard. The fact that it's still going strong and does have, I will say, quite a loyal fan base. I think we've discussed it quite a few times on the podcast that no matter how shite the game is, mentioning no names, Umbrella Corps, that it will be purchased and people will buy it and we will play it and we will dissect it and then we'll complain about it and then Umbrella Corps 2 will be announced and it will do the same thing again over and over again. So it's still an achievement even if they're not quite churning out the same quality of games that we... Uh, were originally used to. So that's that's the kind of main crux of the issue of today, really. We can celebrate 20 years, yes, but has those 20 years been good? Are we happy with the end product? When did the series hit its peak? Are we in a trough? Are we climbing up? Have we seen the green shoots of economic recovery, as a former Lord Chancellor once said? Well, where to start? <laughs> where to start? So if we, I, I suppose if we kind of PlayStation era... Those four games, five games if you include Director's Cut, pinnacle or not? I would say they are 
they're the the golden years, if you like. I think they represent the series at its most pure. I think the story was was the best because it wasn't really convoluted at all, was it? It was fairly focused with what I did, and uh, you know you could say that era culminated in 2003 with like the remake and Zero and and the sort of outbreaks which were mm. a celebration. So. Yeah, I would definitely say they're probably the best years of the series has had. That bubble that existed for that era was fabulous. And it was, you know, everybody talked about it. It was yes. such a... It was a quite in popular culture, wasn't it? Especially Resident yeah. Evil 2. I mean, as you say, it made an, a whole episode of Space, wasn't it? It was based on Resident Evil 2. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and it, and it spoke to different communities as well, because, you know, you had the horror community, and they just liked it for what it was, this, this sort of horror-driven game. But beneath it was a storyline that, that we all went online and it, you know, it, it created a community that we're still very much part of even if it's not quite what it was 15-20 years ago. Did it help that all these games came out with as, as you said a bit like Metal Gear Solid as well uh, less so Tomb Raider but the really good underlying storyline that coincided with the rise of the internet and the fact that more and more people could get online relatively easily. Mm. It, it allowed people to express their you know their feelings affinity towards a particular product which of course you know companies like Capcom have reaped the rewards but you're right that, that optimism was especially good would you say uh, Romby that it was the peak I'd probably agree I mean it's interesting I look at it from two angles we've got basically everything up to the Dreamcast release of Code Veronica is one thing Okay. And then kind of everything afterwards is a, is a kind of a separate half, just simply because that second half, and this is coming back to that community thing, was a lot of waiting for a lot of people. Because Code Veronica, a lot of people, they did the same thing as you. They waited. They thought it's, it's going to come to the next PlayStation. It's mm. going to come to the next PlayStation. And, of course, it did. And then barring the two GameCube games, there was a lot of um, indecision on Capcom's behalf and what the franchise was going to do next. And um, that decision alone... In a, in a way to go to the GameCube was part of that because obviously the game was supposed to be on the PS2 and eventually became Devil May Cry. And so there was a lot of... Um, there was time for people to theorise about where it was going to go and the underlying story and what was going to be next. And then, of course, the expectations were completely changed by the time the actual fourth title came out in the very start of 2005. So to me, there was almost two halves to that generation. There was the very quick, rapid succession between 96 in 2000, kind of, I guess, when Survivor came out, and Copernic, obviously, as well, but that PlayStation era, especially, and then kind of the five years after of waiting, and it was those titles like Dead Aim and uh, Outbreak, the two outbreaks that kind of appeased that market for a while until they could decide what they were actually going to do next. And it's it's kind of like why I see that almost as two parts of that same era. So you'll peak for the first half of it, don't you? <laughs> I did answer that question, really, yeah. The first half, I mean, that's the reason why I started the website and stuff. I mean, the whole reason why my original website was called A New Blood was the newer games of the franchise that we get to be seen at the time. We had one and two, three was just coming out when I first started. Um, Survivor, Code Veronica, they were they were the, the new blood of the series, essentially. It was, it was kind of the joke at the time, and... Uh, and I mean that, that's where, almost where they stopped I mean Zero as well like Zero was supposed to be on the N64 and it eventually got moved to the GameCube so it depends on how your outlook on it is but I definitely see that whole pre-Resident Evil 4 section as one one part where Umbrella is involved and the fallout of all the stuff to do with Raccoon City and it was kind of a time where everyone was very excited about the plot moving forward and I, I always heard mostly positivity and not negativity as funny as that is about the franchise Batman? Yeah, I would 
probably agree as well because the first game to me I think I've already mentioned it just how original it was to play uh, with the camera angles you know the interactive movie I know Alone in the Dark had done it before but Resident Evil sort of took it to the next level and then Resident Evil 2 was like the perfect sequel in many ways because it improved everything the original did it was more of an action game but it still retained enough horror elements and and then Resident Evil 3 sort of filled in the gaps that Resident Evil 2 left behind and for me Code Veronica was the pivotal game because that was the crux of whether Capcom would sort of open up and expand the universe, which they obviously did do, or mm. go the other way and try and close it down and sort of build up towards the big takedown of Umbrella and potentially the end of the series. I suppose if you look at it, I mean, if you've got that up to 2000, people would not necessarily consider Survivor as a classic. But I would say in the same way that Code Veronica expanded the series, Survivor also did in very different ways. Looking back on it now, I sort of look at Survivor as sort of a small love letter from Capcom to the really hardcore fans in that it was an experimental game in that it was first person, it didn't play very well, it had low production values, but the story, you know, the backstory, the whole unanswered questions with like how the mass produced tyrants and things, that sort of stuff appealed to people who'd been following the story closely from the very beginning as opposed to totally focusing on gameplay and trying to attract new people. Yeah, I mean, one of one of my highlights of early Resident Evil was the first time you go out on the bridge in the lab, and there's just the endless amount of uh, Mr. X's in containers. Yes, yeah. And I just thought that's just awesome. For the first time, you really feel like the games were expanding far beyond just the number titles. And you've got these two games that kind of like, as you said, took it out of Raccoon, out even out of America, and it showed the global potential threat. We'll get on to where this is. Well, no, we I suppose we could do it now. I mean, some people. Um, would say that Code Veronica was the turning point, not just, as you said, Bats, in terms of expanding the series and you know, making that expanded universe, because at the time, a lot of people discredited Code Veronica as being, oh, it's not a main title series, it's a spin-off, it doesn't count. It's only later on it became more important. But it's the first time we do have that kind of supernatural element. Was that the beginning of the end? It was for me. <laughs> it was, because I was saying, I'm just saying, because up to that point, including Survivor, everything was fairly organic yeah it was it was more the properties of the t-veronica virus in that it could turn alexia into like a concrete walking statue and she had full control of that alexa pod thing which was the big tentacle that was able to travel miles over the antarctic tundra and wreck claire's snowmobile i just thought no that's just shit because i couldn't afford a dreamcast at the time i had to borrow one um and i remember booting it up thinking oh this is next generation resident evil it's going to be fantastic and i watched the intro and i thought what the hell is this this is awful i hate that intro sequence still oh it's awful the slow-mo gun and everything like that yeah oh it's awful and if that was my first experience of resident evil i probably wouldn't have played another one Granted, it doesn't have a lot to do with the actual game that you're playing, but I suppose for fans like us, it was quite cool to see Umbrella working without there being an outbreak. You sort of walking around the labs and the paramilitary group. I loved every second of it. (laughs) Jesus. I really did. It's nice graphics at the time, though, wasn't it? It Don't get me wrong, there's some very good stuff in the game, but I think the first three were just so, so good, I couldn't help but feel really disappointed by it. But that's fine. I mean, you know, most people will put one, two, and three in the highest possible regard. So it is always going to take a dip, if you like. And then if you were a PlayStation owner and you enjoyed Code Veronica, you were then probably kind of hit round the face with a, a wet salmon when Gun Survivor 2 came out. 
which was it was announced as being the last title on PlayStation at the time. This was this was it, folks. I had a magazine that had a graveyard uh, and like an obituary to Resident Evil, and the ghost. Well, that was probably after they announced the GameCube shift. Yes, yeah, exactly. This is this is the last thing we were getting. Gun Survivor Two. It's so crap. We're not even releasing it in America. I don't have any sort of really negative feeling toward that because I played it as an arcade game before it came out on the, the PlayStation Two, so I was always aware of what it was. Was it any yeah, good it, as an actual arcade game? It, it wasn't bad. It had a fairly quirky control system where you, you had like a gun and you used it as a controller. Mm. You had to twist and move the gun physically forward or back to walk. And you know what? As a two-player, exactly had as to the PS2. I mean, that's just that, that doesn't translate very well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, to be honest, I'll, I'll not lie. Me and my cousin found it, I think it was in Meadow Hall, and uh, we played it, and we were really good at it, and we managed to get all the way through. I think we actually finished it in one go. You know, it only took us like three quid to finish it. You know, and we actually got a little crowd around us, and, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why I, I've always... like I, I know it's a crap disposable arcade game, and that's all it was on the PlayStation 2 as well, uh, albeit it didn't play as well. But, you know, I, I, always, I always remember there was people trying to, like, work it into the plot, in fact, it's frighteningly similar to what we're going through now as Umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> oh, In fact, now I actually think about that, oh, that, is actually, that is actually, it was a similar scenario back then. I remember there was a thread started up on RE Horror saying, how can we make it so the nemesis was on Rockfall? And it was like, are you completely insane? You're right, isn't it? Because people are trying to justify the bloodshot being in the Code Veronica yeah. base, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if that's the official canon that the Nemesis was on. No. No, the official canon is that the whole thing is a dream and yeah, there's the diary files entry. The files, the files aren't. But yeah, the files, the files mentioned that in the case of an emergency, a Nemesis team would be released. I see, I've never taken the files as canon. Have you not? I just ignore it. Because it's interesting, the only reason I, I remember it so vividly was the fact that if you play the arcade game and you let the timer go out, obviously, as you know, the Nemesis comes. Hmm. And they use the same noise and warning systems that they do in the prison facility in Co Veronica. It's not the prison, but in the way you fight the gulp worm first time. Um, and in that building, that complex. So um, in the game, in the kind of canon game of Co Veronica, there's only one time when this alarm goes off, which is when you're in that building. Uh, I can't remember, I haven't played it for so long. Is it when the Bandersnatchers killed the worker? Oh, yeah, no, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the worker's slave. Thing. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot. They obviously just use the same asset, but that's the only time when that noise is coming. So in the file, which says in the case of an emergency, the nemesis will be deployed. And so you kind of, I remember playing it again. Is the nemesis going to turn up? You know, you'll play on, on a second playthrough. Of course, he, he he wouldn't. But that's the only time canonically he should turn up. But of course, he doesn't. So you know. because he was never there. He was never there. But it was not. <laughs> there's so much information in, in those files, such as the fact that the that the nemesis there were created by the American branch. I think I put in my timeline that he was he was there, yeah. but because of the outbreak, he never got activated. Okay. <laughs> that's just that's just my theory. It is no more out there than having four nemesis in Raccoon City, as I can say. I'm surprised they never used Nemesis again, though, considering how successful he was. Considering the amount of different tyrants we've had. Mm. I quite like that restraint, though. It makes three quite unique. Yeah, I suppose. They've never been able to make Nemesis as cool as they did in 3. Uh, and indeed, every, every one of his appearances has been like a diminishing return, to the point where we just got the a fucking atrocious version of him in um, Operation Raccoon City with a robotic voice. That's very true. <laughs> That's the um, pyramid head law of returns. Yeah. 
Anyway, we digress. So that was arguably a, a low point. Then if we take that as one half using Rombie's parameters, we can then go to the second half. And actually, going back to my point, was that PlayStation 2 owners really were... Uh, they weren't given what they wanted because if you're a GameCube owner, thankfully the GameCube wasn't that expensive. So you, realistically, you could afford both. But they were given all the quality games of Remake and Zero, which we'll come to in a second, and we were given Dead Aim, Outbreak 1 and Outbreak 2, depending on your views of these games, whether they were good or not. Now, none of them got particularly sterling reviews, and yet, from a fan point of view, the Outbreak 1 and 2 probably give more information and background information and uh, lore to the series than any other game. I remember being frustrated at the time, though, because, like you said, PS2 owners were facing such a drought in terms of shifting the story forward. It felt frustrating going back to Raccoon City and just controlling civilians mm. and getting files that added sort of little tidbits to the overall universe rather than driving the story forward, which is what I think people wanted at that time. Yes, but it's unfortunate that they are lost. They were, we've discussed them at length, they were ahead of their time, but they were crap at the same time. You could not play them. They were at times unplayable due to the excessive loading times, uh, the fact that you couldn't even play Outbreak 1 online in Europe from PAL regions, mm. and the fact that if you wanted to play online you had to have the hard drive, I think, attached to it and some really... The weird, network adapter. Yeah, some really primitive way of actually doing it. And That said though, it did play great with the hard disk. The loading times were nearly like removed completely. Were they? Yeah, it was fab. The hard disk was optional, but the network adapter was needed. But if you had the hard disk, then you cut down the loading. So I think that would help, because, I mean, I don't know how you guys like to play Resident Evil, but normally I would go into a new room with my gun up high, and then I would enter the room, see if anything was coming, and then go back out again, to prevent me from having further jump moments. So that's how I, I'd play every... So honestly, I'd take ages to complete these games. So the game really punished my way of playing the game. I can, I can imagine that probably would, yeah. I mean, I, I imported um, a hard disk because I put a lot of hours into Outbreak right. and really, really enjoyed it. And although you had the, the AI problems and not being able to play it online, I just sort of soldiered through it. To me, the Outbreak experience was just the complete opposite end of what I wanted. It was absolutely horrific. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I couldn't be more opposite from you at all. I um, I think at the time, I, I mean, I obviously had access to the GameCube and I'd followed the franchise right through both the Dreamcast and everything because I was covering it for a website. And, and basically that nail in the coffin for me about Outbreak was the non-online in Europe. I just, the game otherwise was outside of the loading times anyway, just painfully slow by yourself and not built around that idea at all, which to me just made the whole thing really painful. And while I was really enjoying the little tidbits of lore that were going into it I wasn't getting enough out it's a shame too. I had the network adapter I had everything. Just, what upset me more than anything else was that I remember when it was Resident Evil Network or whatever it was called and when that first trailer came out and I mean bear in mind, I, I, I might have had a GameCube at this point but I think I'd have, I've made a complete remake and yeah we're still stuck in Raccoon City so I wasn't as angered if you like that we're still stuck in Raccoon City but bloody hell though, 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 those trailers of Hunk and then e even some of the gameplay trailers it got me so excited about the series again about the potential as to what we could be doing online and although I never planned on buying a network adapter I just assumed because of one of the trailers certainly that I could put in a multi-tap 
and play four player split screen. And yeah, I remember the early trailer yeah. did mislead with that actually. Four and player, I, I, I couldn't split, wait yeah. for that. I could I genuinely thought that was gonna be the best thing that's ever happened to Resident Evil. That you have a hub centre of some sort and you know, you give it's gonna be fairly linear and that you would go, right, well I've got to go this way, I'm gonna go that way and you could actively choose as to whether you wanted to go together or if you've got if there's a time based mission you had to split up. And I couldn't think of anything better at the time. I thought, well, this is this is brilliant. This is how the series is going to evolve. And by playing as civilians, it really made it even more petrifying because you weren't, you know, suitably armed. No, I don't think I've actually completed the games because the, the end sequences on both games, so End of the Road and... Decisions, decisions. decisions, decisions. They're too long. They're too long with that stupid virometer in the bottom left-hand corner. Yeah. And I, I can't be... As you said, you point out the AI. I can't be dealing with that shitty AI. And you need... I think you need the AI in the university to be able to get something. I, I do think that um, the virus meter should have been an online-only thing. Yep. I, I appreciate why it's there online. It's so players don't just meander around not helping but at the same time you know the offline experience should be full of exploration and taking your time and well exactly it should actually almost be like a training ground for people that go online you can play yeah. you can play the game complete it in a traditional resident evil manner and then take it online i can see why they didn't do it i mean in that sense like i agree it shouldn't have been that media shouldn't have been online plus the infuriating ai that refuses to give you things that it's supposed to give you yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was horrific like between those two things it was bloody unplayable and single player and I guess that was the focus they were trying to get people to convince them to go online and play it online with other people which is fair enough but in the long term it's just yeah it's gonna think I mean it's just some reason why it fuels the idea of people wanting a re-release or remake of it now because it, again it was ahead of its time and if they could they could easily fix those little quirks and issues and make the whole thing playable for both people offline and online so um, I don't we don't want to spend too long on each game but I suppose that was the last of the classic era before we got it was Dead Aim oh yes well we could spend hours speaking about Dead Aim uh, <laughs> and we often do do we not certainly not loved in its time but um, what a wonderful game Dead Aim was I found it very disjointed at first because mm. even though it did come out in 2003 and it was set in 2002 I remember playing it for the first time and reading the files expecting it to be set in like early 1999 like a couple of months after Code Veronica and it just felt like such a massive jump because you've got like all these dates from 1998 based on the first five games and then all of a sudden it jumps to 2002 mm. well you've even got stuff predating yeah a lot of the Pluto stuff's 97 isn't it Right. At the time, obviously, he played as Bruce McGivern and Fong Ling, you know, two people we'd never heard of. A villain that almost died in the opening cutscene. There was no NPCs in the game. It was, you know, gameplay. The first-person, third-person mix was really good. And, you know, it had a good atmosphere and good locations and things. But in terms of story, it felt very disjointed at the time. But retrospectively now, it, it fits really good. I'd love to get someone's opinion, not from a Resident Evil fan, as you know, a light gun fan, as to how it played, because... I think it was because of the Guncom 2, which did have the D-pad on it, didn't it? Um, yeah. Which made it a bit more playable than, say, um, Survivor 1. I remember when I first turned up at university, someone had it, and I couldn't believe it. They actually had the Guncom and Dead Aim, and I, I found that amazing, because I thought, what are you buying that game for? You know, it just didn't seem that type of game that only fans would buy. And yet, my God, he loved it. He thought it was one of the, you know, the one of the best uses of the Guncom, great fun, taking down zombies, loved it. Well, I, I think that's the thing you've, you've nailed on the head. I mean, essentially, for someone 
who's got one of those guns. It's one of the few guns games that probably supported it. The D-pad and gun functions pretty well. Like most of the ones I remembered, the D-pad functions didn't really add much to the thing. It was mostly used for menus. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be interesting. To, I mean, you know, at the time, I, don't, I think it got six, seven out of ten, if that. But it'd be interesting if there is like a, you know, the good old days of light gun games. If it is held up in any esteem by other people, you know, by fans of the genre as opposed to fans of the game series. I, I don't know. Anyway, that certainly is the end. We will not talk about Resident Evil Gaiden. Um... <laughs> it's funny because like, I think about these now in my two halves that I mentioned before, and I, I really think the second half for me, barring the GameCube titles, I really started to check out on the PS2 side of things. And I think about it even from the Dreamcast. Like Code Veronica, much like, much like John, I was kind of like, when that lore opened up and you had the, the tentacle stuff and the and Wesker returning as well, I didn't even touch on that. And it, I was just like, maybe I'm not really as keen on this as I <laughs> thought I was going to be. And and the other part of it was that Code Veronica especially was just so long and so dull. There's a, there's a <laughs> um, lot of backtracking, wasn't there? Yeah, and I mean, it's not so bad nowadays. Like, I don't mind it, but at the time I remember that. And then, like, you had Gunso over 2, it was ridiculous, and... The outbreaks which I couldn't play properly because of the online and then just the general AI playing it offline was horrific. And the only saving grace the whole time was Dead Aim. Like, I really, really enjoyed it for what it was. I like the atmosphere and everything. But I was just so focused on, like, the main series and hoping that the next game, main game would, would pan out. If you ignore Dead Aim, when Code Veronica X came out in 2001, when Chris and Wesker had that, that cliffhanger ended, the story from that point never advanced, really, until we got Umbrella Chronicles, which was six years later. Mm, yeah, and yeah, it's not wrong. And even that whole Umbrella's End scenario was sort of shoehorned in because Capcom realised that people were interested in the story. Yeah, we started to see that obviously with their kind of response to the backlash to Resident Evil 4, where they added in you know the bits of information and the side story stuff when the PS2 version came out. Yeah. I know, I know. No, I've said before many a time that separate way you saved the Resident Evil 4 experience to me. I think we've got the, the second half of the golden era, if you're not the first era. I think it's a different story if you didn't own a GameCube. What Romby just said, I think, is, is bang on the money. If you just owned a PS2, and in your belief that this is where all the main series were going to go, because this is, a, you know, this is where Resident Evil started on PlayStation, I think you would have been severely disappointed. You'd have enjoyed Code Veronica to an extent. I think most people at the time they kind of enjoyed it. You would have tolerated Survivor 2, and then you'd or have stopped. It. <laughs> it, or ignored it. Or ignored it. Or ignored it. You definitely would have picked up Gaiden. You would have possibly enjoyed Dead Aim. I think it's hard. It's a hard game not to enjoy. But whether that would have satisfied your cravings, I don't know. And then, as you said, Rombie Outbreak is just an awful experience to play if you're not online. But if you're if you're in America or you actually were a fan of Outbreak, you really loved it. Like that's the thing. I think there's a huge disparity between people who really love that game and really don't. I mean, Sean's a perfect example. Like there is a big big difference there. If, if you were fortunate to own the GameCube, your version of this half up to Resident Evil 4 was very different. Yeah, and I, you know, and just to follow that up, I mean, one of the re- that might be one of the reasons why we hold Dead Aim in such high regard is because that accompanied really like the remake in Zero, mm. which was released very similar to Zero in this country, I believe. There wasn't much time between them, so it, it acted as a nice aside. Whereas if that was the only res- slice of Resident Evil you got in 2003, it probably was made you a little bit bitter. And then sort of jumping forward to where we are this last couple of years. That's probably why they've been embraced so well. 
because there's this great community of people who finally can try the remake in Zero. And, it, you know, if, if anything's going to engage that nostalgia, it'll be the chance to play them for the first time, um, like a lot of people will have done. Is it, so. It's interesting, because I do remember, obviously, the people holding out for the stuff on the PlayStation was simply because of Capcom originally saying number titles will appear on the on one main console up until the announcement of Resident Evil 4 on the GameCube. Like, it, it, there was a lot of people holding out, and obviously they saw console exclusivity as, like, such a pie-in-the-sky idea, which, ironically, it was, like... Like the GameCube versions of those games didn't sell to Capcom's expectations. We know this, but it's taken so... It's crazy that it's taken so long for them to actually release on another platform. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But undoubtedly Remake and Zero were extreme high points. If there was the dip after Survivor 2, Co-Veronica, Survivor 2, Gaiden, then it was certainly climbed back up again with the release of these GameCube games. I mean, I, I mean, as much as I love the remake, I was always a little bit, just the, just the tiniest amount, but always a little bit frustrated by it, because as much as it's an amazing game, I, I am, you know, famously anti-remake and things like that. I, I don't really like them, and that's one of the only ones that I do actually give an exception to, because it's done so well. But I always prefer to see where things are going, as opposed to remakes or prequels. Mm. And I, you know, and, and there, there was a, a period of time, like, like John said, we didn't really get any story advancement such a long time because 4 like we've said just it didn't do it for me I, you know I always view this series as story first gameplay second which I know is wrong and, and it's backwards for a video game but 4 didn't wow me with its game and so did it not yeah, uh, the thing is I mean we'll get onto this when we go into the new phase yeah in, in a moment but it's it just like as a game I just thought it was okay I, li- I really like the village but then it wore off very quick because I just felt all we were doing was the same thing. And you just applied the same tactics to most enemies, which I don't know whether how you guys play Resident Evil 4, but for me it was kneecap enemy go in melee. Oh. And after like 16 hours of that, I was just, I was pretty fed up. <laughs> I was headshot, 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 headshot. <laughs> what, what's your take back on the placement of Remake and Zero then in, in that first period? Um, well, I remember at the time, I um, similar to what Rob said before, Code Veronica, I don't, I feel guilty always bashing Code Veronica. I don't mean to. I don't hate it as much as what I make out. But <laughs> I felt, I felt very similar to Rombie in that I sort of thought, you know, the series isn't as good as what I obviously think it is, and I sort of drifted away from it for a while. And I didn't even realise they were remaking the first game. I remember picking up a random games magazine, and they had a screenshot of the main hall, and it looked so different. I didn't even recognise it at first until I read the article, and I couldn't believe just how good it looked. I thought, shoot a game cannot look this good but like Sean as brilliant as the remake is it still just loses that little little thing which is a fundamental problem with all remakes no matter how good they are you know there's elements we've spoken about before that are missing from the first game the mansion as plain as it looked in the first game just has that little bit extra that the remake doesn't have and inevitably when remake 2 comes we're going to have all these conflicted emotions all over again but as a game I mean I, I imported the remake from America so I got it a good few months before it came out in England and I was just absolutely blown away by it. It was absolutely fantastic. Did you feel somewhat smug playing it as well? I did. That you're playing this awesome game on the GameCube that most of your friends would not be playing. I did. Yeah, I took it to. Uh, I took the game to school with me and just showing it to everyone. <laughs> I was. I had a similar thing with Resident Evil Three. Yeah. When I imported that, you can't help it. 
<laughs> and uh, but it was good because a lot of my friends at the time they liked the series, but a lot of them couldn't get into the gameplay. So rather than play it themselves, they used to actually like just watching other people play it because it was like a film. So they'd quite happily come round to beers and just watch me play on remake. <laughs> No, no, no. I, 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 no, I totally get that. I totally get that. Me and my co- younger cousin, he used to come around and he used to watch me play Resident Evil 3, Code Veronica. You know, he, did, he didn't care about the story. I just wanted to watch it play. Equally, he actually had Resident Evil 2 before I did. And so I was really interested to watch him play the game. I think it's one of those games that you can sit and watch. Yeah. other people play I mean long before they had Let's Play on YouTube and all that because the graphics at the time looked so photorealistic didn't they especially on the old style yeah. TV monitors yes yeah yeah, yeah and it, it the sound effects as well I remember that first trailer being released for the remake oh, yeah. and it was and I saw it on like low quality cam footage it was really shit from like a show or something uh, but the sound effects just stood out as being amazing like the way the footsteps echoed the the sound effect they used in the gun in that first trailer they don't use in the full game but it just sounded amazing you know like the sound effects just so crisp they really went for that film I think I, I just remember that first trailer coming out and just being that actually reinvigorated my interest in the franchise straight away I think it was that point where I was just like it keeps jumping around. The company can't decide what it's doing. I mean, I was following it perhaps much differently than you guys were in regards to like the website and stuff. But just seeing that was just like, wow, like this looks like the perfect direction to take it. If you're going to have to remake it for an audience on the GameCube, especially, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, I was blown away. So did, I mean, if we say that Zero was the last main game in the series before Resident Evil 4, did that leave a bitter taste in your mouth? I think it did because people were looking forward to Zero because they wanted to see what happened to Bravo Team. And Zero turned out to be a completely different game to what people were expecting. Well, it was mismarketed as well. Yeah. The big tagline in the American trailer was, you know, what did happen to the Bravo Team? You thought you were going to get a full game of that. And yet the opening FMV of Zero, you know, isn't anything to do with Bravo Team, really. It tells you what the game's about, the history of the T-Virus. Where did it come from? Who created it? From Zero's point of view, you don't need answers to those questions. Because one Adam quickly did it. Yeah, I remember the speculation was was fab. Like the last location was going to be running around the mansion. And yeah, d- w- no. why, why not? Why wouldn't? Why Rich- shouldn't? It? Richard was going to have a starring role through the game. He's in about two shots, and I was always really disappointed with it because of that. But from what I remember at the time, though, I think it still got pretty good reviews. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Coming off the back of the success of the remake, I still think it did well. It got reasonably well, good reviews. It didn't get as good. It was much like. As I said to you about the HD version, it won't get as good reviews as the remake in HD. It was the same thing back in that time. It was reasonably good reviews, but compared to the remake, not as good. <laughs> for, that, for the same exact reasons. The, the item system, the dropping, yes. the tricking. So I think the, the parting point of the open era, or the beginning era, was the series in need of a change? Did we ultimately need the over-the-shoulder camera angle? Could we have gone any longer with the uh, static camera angles or slightly moving camera angles? Or even Code Veronica, which was fully moving, I suppose, wasn't it? Well, I think when they started releasing trailers for 3.5 and whatnot with the you know, the sort of mix of the old sort of over-the-shoulder mixed with the outbreak camera, you know, everyone was really looking forward to it. Everyone was pumped for it. Mm. I think, yeah, it needed a change because even though Zero was a poor game, one of its criticisms was that people were getting sick of the static camera I think at the time mm. it's much like what we've been talking about I think it was just that need to actually move forward Yeah, was perhaps more important in some respects than the actual way it played but obviously that's kind of hand in hand 
Um, but I think it's kind of almost draws a parallel to now as well. Like the company doesn't know what it wants to do with the franchise now. Now it's splintered so much. At the time, it was more about a focus of trying to get a fan base, and it's still trying to be able to get a fan base, but it's because other games are so varied and have copied what they've done. It's kind of a weird situation, and I can kind of understand why when the GameCube games didn't sell so well, they were a little bit less confident about where they were going to go with the next one and why they would have started so many so many times over. Yeah, I think you're right. The interesting point about 3.5 is I think you could see it still had Resident Evil at its core, I only think after a long, a long time and subsequent releases, the Resident Evil 4 that we will have now, people see it as going, okay, it's not as bad as we all thought. I thought that first trailer, or at least the first trailer where you actually did see how the game would work, was was mega. There's just bits of like genuine creepiness in there, um, and you, you you always had the the traditional camera angles, but then there's a great moment where like it goes to the over the shoulder aiming cam. And I think is Leon looking through like a frosted window, and there's this, a shadow moves past it, and I just thought that's how you you push this game series forward. Yeah. Well, to me, that's almost a throwback to Resident Evil 2. Like there's those fixed camera angles where you see the liquor going past the window. Like it was, it was kind of like a retake on making sure that the fixed camera thing was still impactful where it was needed, but most of the time it was a, a floating camera, which I think most people would have been completely fine with. But I mean, it's, it's common these days, actually, with cutscenes. Like, quite often in games, you, they want to show you something. You've got a camera angle that's on, you know, following a character around, but all of a sudden it will switch to highlight something important. It will move, or it'll, you know, it'll move to a fixed location, or the camera gets locked into a certain rail and then goes back to being free. It's, it's that same mentality that we have in games these days. Because, interesting, it, it kind of, it seemed like a hybrid, especially on 3.5, it seemed like a hybrid of the dead aim camera angle. That yeah. kind of like, if you look at it, there did seem to be a natural progression towards something a bit different. Whether Dead Aim was survival horror enough, even in third person, probably not. But you could see the, uh, you know, the makings of something very special, even with that simple angle. And I think even that far back, people were sort of asking Capcom to return to a more horror-orientated game. Mm. The concept behind that of Leon being infected and hallucinating enemies, so you didn't know what was real and what wasn't is still a really good idea, I think. The thing is with 4 is that, as Sean said, the village bit is brilliant. The whole opening of it, that build-up to absolute bedlam when you're holding out in that building. And then I think if you play it one way, you do get Chainsaw Man. If you, There are ways of not getting the Chainsaw Man, I can't remember. But that is proper chaotic sense of fear that you've never experienced in Resident Evil before. In any other game, is that absolute, oh my shitting god... I wonder if that, that's a naivety because you've played so many Resident Evil games before, and if you ever, ever had that amount of enemies on screen at once, that's it, it's curtains. I think it's a combination of that and also, I mean, for people who'd never played or hadn't played many of the Resident Evil titles before, I think they still really enjoyed that panic. But I remember playing the demo, they had that demo disc that came with the Famitsu. Yes, yes, they did, yeah. yeah and I played that, yeah, I've still got it somewhere as well. I played that before I played the game, and that literally is just the start of the game in the village section. And it, and as a demo, that's brilliant. Like, that is, we were talking about, like, it's such a pinnacle piece of that start of the game that for a demo it was perfect it gave you a good indication allowed you to replay it and understand but yeah I think maybe yeah once you set into a routine once that panic kind of wears off and while things yeah. continue to repeat it loses its momentum as far as being able to pull the how, same how good how good would a four have been if after you've cleared that area they've all gone off to play bingo it just turns then back into the survival horror of exploring that village completely you know and hardly coming across any other ganado put it this way if you had 
at the beginning of the game, and I think if you play it in proper easy mode, you do get a lot of weapons at the beginning, but it's only difficult, that opening bit, because you've only got your handgun and no weapons. If you played that scene, and let's be honest, you play that scene over and over again in the castle, on the island, and whatnot, it's just a piece of piss. It's easy. It's like, how am I going to blow them all up now? You know, that's the problem. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The reason that was so effective was because it was a different type of horror. Like, Resident Evil 1 was slow. You know, you didn't know what you were going into. It was the fear of the unknown. Resident Evil 2 was sort of like aliens in many respects. It was a bit more action orientated but it was still horror and then Resident Evil 3 with the nemesis was the feeling of panic because you didn't know where it was where it was going to come from yes stalking, and then yeah. Resident Evil 4 was with all the Ganado was sort of the feeling of being overwhelmed so it was a different type of horror and I think that's why it was so effective but I it. just think they should have kept the level of weapons it, it makes it easier it's an inherent problem my concern with it as an idea would have been the fact that they just would have ended up bottlenecking constantly like so you get that point of panic then there's a bit of quiet then they go back through mm-hmm. you end up in the situation where rinse, rinse repeat and then I don't know if that's really a better situation to be in in the final game like in the end one way or the other it's just going to be repeated no, that's a fair point sometimes it's its most interesting is when it's actually doing something different with a set piece like the cabin you know with Lewis and everyone's coming in the ladders mm. and all the windows and everything. I One think... of the scariest scenes was with but, the armour. Yeah, when you're going round as Ashley. Yeah. With the flashlight, yeah. Have you ever played that in the Japanese version? That's one thing I've never done, is played the camera angles version of that sequence. No. It'd be harder, eh? I haven't played it either. But in terms of gameplay, though, I mean, I, I know Sean said he didn't like it, but I thought they captured lightning in a bottle again when it first came out. The over-shoulder camera was so fun to play. Back in 2005, I just thought it was... It was just as inventive as the uh, the camera angles were in 1996. I think you're right. I think it was it, it's the fun, one of the most funnest games to play, and it's got that pick up and play factor by having chapters. It's not designed for you to play it in you know the six hour sessions that you perhaps used to playing. It's designed for you to just to pick it up, do one chapter, end of it, and go, ah, oh, that's it, I'll stop. And that Th- coincides that with the rise of the casual gamer. I was going to say that is true, but I guess that's also one of my issues with the game so damn long. <laughs> like it, yeah. it's t- 20 hours like even if you played it go you know, like at a reasonable pace it's a really long game a huge game like that's the thing what would have made it perfect for me is I love the game up until you get to the castle and I think the castle should have been a proper hub area like what they were trying to do with 3.5 make the castle proper horror and bring back the sort of puzzles and the optional exploration of Resident Evil 1 and 2 and then once you get out of the castle you go to the island and it plays out as normal that would have worked a lot better instead because the castle's extremely linear it's got stupid moments like the giant lava breathing things and then the statue that comes alive and if you actually stop and look at what you do in that castle it is absurd and there's actually no real reason for him if you think about it at all you know the Salazar chap he wasn't at risk of anything or of anyone you could see where they had to do the cuts in terms of you know where the monorails link you up in areas because they had no clear way of working out how to get around and the the scene where Ashley gets captured is so reliant on her running and leaning against the wall a certain way I mean it's it's ridiculous when you watch it she runs you know she has to not get impaled by the spikes and she runs into the wall and at that point in the wall if she'd run into one of the corners she'd have been fine but then the wall just Mm. wrapped around her it's just all it's all very silly but you're right in what you're saying Nick because up until then the first sort of four games were semi-realistic in science and you had all these files and reports explaining scientifically and biologically how all these 
creatures we've created and how the tyrants were made and what the material is that you know functions the power limiter and they piss all that away by having fire breathing dragons and robot salazars and gatling guns that come up out of the floor yeah <laughs> look look at the, we've got this lovely room you know showing ornaments and antiques from yesteryear what else do we need we need a gatling gun that comes up we shouldn't expect anything less and we've talked about this in depth before but we shouldn't expect anything less of a game that basically got rid of umbrella in its first 30 seconds like you knew that the baby had gone out with the bathwater on this one as far as plot went <laughs> do you think that's down to M- mikami though Mikami's never really championed the story, has he? I think that's part of it. I think it was also potentially the way that the GameCube games hadn't sold and the way that they'd reinvented the game so many times that they basically realised we've written ourselves into a corner as far as Umbrella has gone and we don't know how to make this game move forward where it's interesting. I mean, he'd already done it once with 1.5, so we, we can't be that surprised. He wasn't happy with that through the entire game out. They did it three times at least before they got this version of Resident Evil 4, plus another version if you count the Devil May Cry version so it's like because I think it was interesting one of the interviews he did for the 20th anniversary was he said he he never intended Resident Evil to become a franchise really Mm. yeah that's been known I mean that was part of his I think one of the comments he made in the an interview around the time 1.5 had been cancelled and they were doing 2 was that same same idea that it wasn't supposed to be an epic story it was supposed to be this thing that was going to be told and they were only planning like a couple of games and after the smash success of the first one they only thought maybe a couple more but hey it's kept on what you expect <laughs> so Re- Resident Evil 4 is certainly attributed to being either uh, certainly attributed to being the downfall in many ways of the series not, not to the mainstream media though but not to the mainstream media that's very true that's very true I mean you know I've still seen polls recently where it tops you know best Resident Evil game and it's a, I've, I've always said it's a, it's a really, really good game, just not a very good Resident Evil game and um, that, that was its failing I, I didn't mind the Plagos. I didn't Thank have a you. problem with that. I think the whole concept of the Plagos was saved by the end credits as being awesome, and that was quite harrowing. I found some scenes with Ashley being captured in the castle. You know, I'd love to have just watched her being you know, under a ritual. That would been quite cool without saving her and whatnot. But as you said, the, the lack of information about the other creatures. I can tolerate Iron Maidens to an extent because they were done in the lab and that's all you're told I can tolerate Ganados and the Comilios and Del Largo because that's just a salamander but I still have an issue with the cave troll yeah. and I will permanently have an issue with it because it doesn't make any sense is that a human? you know it's not like a tyrant that's now what seven eight feet which is beyond the realms of skin stretching ability but for someone to grow the size of that through Plagas I don't get it. The series has run away with that kind of thing now. And then Salazar turning into a Venus flytrap plant or something. You've got it with Irving, haven't you, turning into a ridiculously <laughs> big sea monster and the size differential between the various forms of um, Simmons is just breathtaking. Oh, that's something. Uh, this is the thing, it's an extension of that ridiculousness. Like, you look at it in scale, like, Birkin makes sense. He slowly gets bigger, even if his large last form is still expanding but it's within the realms of scale but by yeah, the time we've got to this point it's just immediately gone from small person large monster Birkin <laughs> just looks like a, like sort of horrific tumours growing on him and things like that it works but whereas it, it works and interestingly the, the, actually the size thing can't always be an issue because I mean take a look at the end thing of uh, Morpheus in Dead Aim it almost it yeah. always engulfs the island it comes absolutely gigantic but I don't know, there's something about El Gigante and Nadesu that pissed me off. And I don't know what... <laughs> I've just got this issue. And then It, 
and you three and whatnot and Sadler. I just I failed to understand whether he was a walking, talking BOW, yeah. and I just don't understand why he would do what he did to defeat Leon, and if he had won. Yeah, we, we, we you've talked about this before, I, I remember clearly, <laughs> like, what was he going to do after after he won, is he, he can't transform back, can he? And that's stupid, because, you know, th- these are just boss fights that people enjoy, and some are quite fun boss fights, you know. To an... Clearly that's the thing, like, someone came up with this design for an enemy, oh, this looks quite cool, of no consequence, no concept behind how they'd get to it, it's just literally that's that's how it's going to work and then <laughs> so for me Resident Evil 4 will always be although a great game it will represent its failing the series going downhill thereafter to be fair though I'd say Resident Evil 4 is the sole reason the series is still going today yes mm-hmm. that, I'd agree with that as well I mean all the game of the year awards that got given and all the press coverage which we mentioned like it, the, cat, the you know the style to the gameplay itself inspired so many others I mean it, it technically wasn't the first game to do it but it was the first game to do it well much like the original Re- Resident Evil itself was not sure. the first game to use pre-rendered cameras but yeah it's definitely for me it is yeah, that downfall title for me as far as interest in the series and then Separate Ways was the first stage of bringing the story back into play, wasn't it? Reconciliation. Yeah. Scraping the story back into the pot. Yes, because I think Simon Ada didn't really cut the mustard either. It was really only supposed to expand her role more than just to tie her back into the... I'd love to know if, if Ada's uh, betrayal of Wesker was always part of the plan, because that's a huge retcon. If it wasn't. Mm. Because before Separate Ways came out, there was nothing to suggest she was going to betray him. You know, right. so, And we know Separate Ways was done by a completely different writer, so I'd love to know if it was pre-planned or not. Isn't yeah, the same Ada part of the story as well? I, I see Separate Ways as replacing it, but I know there are people out there who try and make both work. I thought it could fit. You don't see that end scene, do you, in Separate Ways, so theoretically it could happen exactly the same way. I think you could force it in there if you really wanted to, but I think you just try to solve a problem no one really cares about. (laughs) (laughs) I think as well you could speak in general terms and more about the ideas of both and it would make much more sense than trying to be exact with what's in the game. So Resident Evil 4 was certainly divisive. Um, They then gave us Deadly Silence. Oh, that's a great little game though. Did anyone get that? (laughs) I, yeah, I, I, I do own it, yes. The rebirth modding, that's really good. Apart yeah. from the first person knife yeah. slashing stuff. Obviously. The remixed game is pretty cool, and I quite like how it is like a, um, a blended version of the advanced mode of the director's cut. Yeah. Yes, but I still think they should have added the remake map, but with the original graphics. So they could, you could have had, you could have made it canon in that sense. Nothing beats giving Richard mouth to mouth through the uh, DS <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I love the idea that there's a whole bunch of people, especially on public transport. Yeah. It's like <laughs> some of the touchscreen puzzles were pretty cool, though, weren't they? I seem to remember. Was there a good reinvention of them? Yeah. I think I've played it a few times. I just had problems because you have to use the knife in first person. Yeah, you have a battle with the snake and bloody with a knife. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you have to go back to the guardhouse, which is one thing it doesn't do well. It forces you back to the guardhouse to, um... Because they even put in a new file in there, don't they, to tell you you have to go back. Oh, really? To get the second Doom book. Yes. And the snake's there. In the You have to fight the snake in the Plant 42 room. And it's just a horrible thing. Yeah, that's right. That was a massive change, wasn't it? Because nobody... I can't remember. Everybody spent hours in the mansion looking for the second Doom book and had moved it to the guardhouse. I'm sure there is a file you can pick up where it says that. Yeah, it does, yeah. But... Then... Um, after Deadly Science, we, we had Umbrella Chronicles on the Wii, which was effectively Survivor 5. 
if you think of it that way. And that was an interesting development. I think there's a lot of tolerance for the survivor type games because the, because they're not main storyline. You can get away with a lot. And this was certainly the first on the rails shooter from Resident Evil and this seemed like the the ideal place for it to go if they wanted to go first person because they could have been inspired by games like House of Dead but what was your thoughts on Umbrella Chronicles I remember desperate to get hold of it yeah I remember the trailers got me very stoked for it there's a national shortage of Nintendo Wii's at the time there was yeah I remember I was at uni and I kept going to HMV. Have you got any more Wii's in it? Yes, got one. I want one now. <laughs> I think it was a good idea because it was a good way to bring people who had been introduced to the series of Resident Evil 4. It was a good way to bring them up to speed with the story by giving an abridged retelling of the first three games. But at the same time, adding new stuff like the side scenarios for long-time fans. Mm. And then the cherry on top was the whole umbrella takedown scenario, which is what everyone was asking for for years. Yes. And I think having Wesker at the forefront of the game was a good idea as well rather than just always having him in the background sitting on his throne laughing <laughs> I found them quite fun and of course it, it satisfied my need to have finally have a local two player game and I've spent a long time playing with mates and stuff and you know what it's good fun it's a good fun you know and you know it encourages you to shoot things you know lots of hidden things to find files to find upgrades your weapons and Umbrella's End was a bit shit it did feel like the last level of House of Dead where you just get bombarded with every known B.O.W. that you've already killed I liked it I, I like going around like the mansion in first person even though it was on, on rails it was still amazing seeing it through like the eyes of your character yeah I was just going to say so some of it doesn't work like I'll never accept beginnings it's a bit all over isn't it yeah what the the unnecessary the, the unnecessary yeah. well yeah they just they just wanted a Wesker level in there and just didn't put any thought behind it he wanted to make his escapes go back to town so he decided to not take the lift to wherever you know and the whole Resident Evil 3 scenario was a bit of a... Oh, don't, we don't mention that. A cop out, wasn't it? Yeah. The AD one was okay, though. It was, yeah. And a nice link to uh, Outbreak 2 as well, mm. which was quite good. Um, I think Hunk's one was one of the best. I think it really flushed out Fourth Survival with all the radio chatter. And... and gave us the first hint of a possible Resident Evil 2 remake. The thing for me, like, looking at it, I didn't play it on the Wii. Well, I did, but not. I didn't have a Wii. I didn't go out and get one. And I, my friend had it, and I sat in and played it with him for a couple of hours. And I never actually fully finished it until the HD version of it came out a couple of years later. To me, though, it's interesting because I've never really thought of it till now. But you guys were talking, we were talking about this idea about um, having to, to kind of claw back the history. You look at it as a Nintendo release and the fact that you could play Remake and Zero on the Wii, yep. um, either in backwards compatibility or the release that came out. And it's like it is trying to almost claw back a bit of that history again you know, putting these things together, trying to connect them so that people who have played only four could kind of understand more of the history of only played the remake. Zero could see more of the other titles. Well yeah, remember that we also so had cool. Resident Evil Four We Edition, which was certainly mm. the definitive version of four with uh, obviously all the separate way stuff added in, slightly improved graphics and uh, use of the Wii controls, which worked quite well actually for four. Yeah, they did it. Because I was gonna say, because two and three in Code Veronica did come out on GameCube but Dear God, in limited numbers, like hardly any copies compared to the number of potential people who played it. So yeah, not many people would have played those games at all, I would say, on the Nintendo no. console. 
maybe most people might have played the N64 version of Resident Evil 2 if they've been long-time Nintendo fans. Of course, Dark Side Chronicles very much the same. There's not a lot you want to... There's not a lot we can really no. get to it. It's a nearly identical game, just covering 2 and Codronica and some weird Amazonian... It's kind of covering the other missing gaps, and then they have to add a scenario to make it kind of justified in storytelling and game length and stages and so forth. Again, I didn't play that until the HD. I bought the two games together, came out on HD on the same day. That came out on disc anywhere? Japan, maybe? I think it did. What, Dark Side Chronicles? Yes, yeah, the what? HD version. It came out on disc in Japan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be worth owning, wouldn't it? I think you could get both of them on the same disc, could you not? It was a, yeah. yeah. It's like a HD Chronicles collection. Sandwiched in between all this, we had Degeneration, which was Capcom's attempt to make Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. But on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so much so that, we, that we'll, we'll use real-life footage and see if anyone notices. Did you know that some of the scenes were real as opposed to animated? Yeah, Which bit? The end bit when Leon's walking up on the mountain to speak with Angela. That was real. Was it? Yeah. Uh, I think some of the airport stuff is real. And then Seriously? He... I've... Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never noticed that at all. <laughs> there you you go. have to go back and watch again now. <laughs> I'll see if I can look on YouTube now. Never know. What? There's actually he was an actor walking up a hill dressed as Leon. No, no, it was like the. I think the hill itself was real and the sort of superimposed CG oh, Leon right. onto it, I think. Yeah. But it, it, it wasn't a bad little film when it came out. Better than any of the live action ones. Yes, yes, yes. And it was good to see Leon and Claire back together. And it was nice that it wasn't too. I, I like the fact that it was just T virus and G virus and it wasn't some stupid you know, X-Virus or something that they've just concocted purely for one. Well, it was a nice sort of self-contained story, wasn't it? But it had enough sort of undercurrents in there to connect it to lots of other events. Mm. And it was the first game that sort of really triggered the massive sort of bioterrorism era that was still stuck in now. Yeah. Less said about Will Farmer's self-defence system. Seems highly (laughs) elaborate. But there we go. Um, I think they were well aware of the fact that, like, this was going to be one of the first kind of outside events that was going to be released in the West. Because obviously in Japan they had so many like various little side stories and background information and so forth that it was kind of, that never really happens, that we never really get unless they're translated. Mm. And so I think they were quite conscious of making it simple and understandable and relatable to a Western audience as well as you know, the, anyone watching it in Japan as well. I think that was a really good thing in some respects. Yeah, obviously the tricell link at the end. Yes. Every, everybody went crazy over that didn't they that's a nice mm. smooth link to Resident Evil 5 <laughs> <laughs> smooth yeah. does anyone else think though this particular period sort of late 2008 was when the community was sort of at its peak in terms of I don't know excitement it was a renaissance of interest I would definitely agree with that I don't know if it said it was peak but it was definitely a peak to me there was a peak post Resident Evil 2 when like everyone had played Resident Evil 2 and everyone was excited about what was coming next. There was a mini peak around the time the remake came out. People started getting interested in the franchise again, but that died off pretty quickly. There was a different type of peak again after Resident Evil 4, a combination of backlash <laughs> and <laughs> fandom, depending on how your viewpoints were. And then, yeah, again, I think 2000, kind of between 2007 and 2009, there was a, mm. a pretty big peak there as well. We've Just got enough it. stuff coming out. You've got to think, say say you picked up Resident Evil 4, the first Resident Evil game you played, and you loved it so much so that you're going to Google it and join a forum, and then you went on going, oh my god, it's the best game ever. You were beaten down with a stick by most fans, going, nah, shit, 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 shit. And you're like, oh, I enjoyed it. Oh, no, 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 no. And so, that's, that's 
probably how it is now for some people. Well, of course, yeah, absolutely. Five or six. <laughs> and, and this is the fact, the fact that we're still talking about Resident Evil is a sad indictment of the fact that there isn't any new fans that are that interested in the series. You don't, you don't seem to have, I don't say next generation, because sounds really, you know what I mean? I had my first experience of that like very long time ago because I remember when CVX Freak joined, like started writing guides on game FAQs. Uh, this is like 2000, late 2001, start 2002. And he's obviously named after the fact that he loves Code Veronica. And I'm just like, seriously, why? <laughs> why would you Why would you love that game that much? And he's just like, oh, I think it's the best game in the series. It's the first one I played, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you need to play the originals. And he goes, oh, yeah, I have now. But, like, it was my first game. I really enjoyed it. It got me into the franchise and, you know, big fan, blah, blah, blah. And it's like... Okay. I know people have that same experience about other games. Like, you, you talk to someone, they're like, oh, yeah, I really liked Resident Evil 5. I thought it was a you know, really good game in the series, and it was quite near the top of the pile, and you're like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> in many ways, the series needs to retain a lot of fans, and I, I, I just don't think people are that invested anymore, and that's why I maintain Resident Evil 4. It just didn't give much of a storyline of note. But in the build-up to 5, though, we had so much to look forward to. You had... Chris and Wesker for the first time since Code Veronica. You had Spencer for the first time. Yep. You were promised the origins of the progenitor virus. You know, it literally was the culmination of everything that had been building up since the very first game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you could go on a forum with a Resident Evil 5 theories and come back two hours later and there'd be 50, 60 new responses. And yeah. you'd never get that these days. There are two things that ruined Resident Evil 5 as far as an online experience goes, and this is. One was expectations and pressure because so many people expected everything to be answered straight away. And to be fair, like, Five does a pretty good job of trying to tie a new story together with explaining a lot of old story. And I think this is perhaps the start of a new era in some respects as well, is that of Capcom's expectations towards sales and picking up that fan base that Nick mentioned. It's like they wanted multi-million they wanted new fans, they wanted big sales. But the biggest hurt, and I need to touch on this because you guys know this well enough, is the, the leak of information that came out mm. from the demo. I really think that killed a large amount of momentum as far as like fan theorizing and stuff because immediately people could just go, ah, well, it said this, yeah. so I know it's going to happen. Or I know, that. And so people started tying together the story based on that and the trailers well before the game came out, unfortunately. Yeah. But for the game itself, I mean, I I really like it. I know I'm in the minority there. The only sort of negative I've got against it is for a game with such a massive development time, it was far, far too similar to 4 in the way it played and the sort of enemies they had with chainsaws and plaga monsters and stuff. It just... Oh, I despised the game. I thought it was awful. Why? Uh, Why? Why? Because it was so boring. It, It did none of the things that made Resident Evil 4 exciting. That made it playable. I mean, I, I think I've I've played it and completed it once. I just I just have absolutely no motivation to go play it again. The only interesting feature of it is the storyline, which is brilliant, and I've you know I've always said that. But the only interesting bad guy is the executioner, who you see once. Everything else is just a rip off of Resident Evil Four. It just doesn't do it better. It's not like Resident Evil Two One, you know, where Two took everything from Resident Evil. One and made it better. This didn't. This just did it the same. It was the same animation. They caved in to stupid political correctness gone wrong. Oh look! Oh, it's white man killing black man. It's like, well, we're in Africa. You know, they they felt the need to change it all. And then we had then we had to go around on stupid jeeps chasing people on motorbikes, which you didn't even do that in Resident Evil Four. You know, you can't envisage Ganados go. Uh, 
Oh, you know, Sadler, Sadler, oh, Triumph motorbike, off we go. There has not been enough Nick rants on these podcasts. <laughs> that was beautiful. It just annoyed me so much. And the Ouroboros as well. I mean, what a piece of shit. I mean, oh, also, God. What? I, lo- I love that design. I thought that was great because yeah, it's a hard back to that three point, the, one of the versions of four. Again, I, what was. I, oh, it, it still doesn't quite work as to why Wesker doesn't turn into something ridiculous and he's infected with whatever he's infected with and that's kind of retcon that to give him the PG-87 god knows what it felt they were trying far too hard because they wanted Wesker as the final boss but do you, do you not play it and whilst you're playing it you're getting these answers you know you're seeing these flashbacks with Spencer and does that not that's good no, make it's a sto- it worthwhile that's the story that's yeah, the story it. it's just what 4 should have been it's a it's a good game with new gameplay but it's it's relevant to what's come before and, and that, that's think... why we didn't like 4 because it wasn't relevant to what had come before and I think I said in um in the, in the 5 podcast when we did I, I don't think action fatigue sets in as much because it's always constantly changing I found it far too linear. It's more linear than four. Uh, at least four, you did go back a bit. Whereas this one was just like, oh, I'm in a new, I'm in a factory now. Door slam shut. <laughs> Not going out now. I uh, give you the boat level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gave, yeah. Fuck that's, that's the closest to sort of open-ended. Yeah, wasn't evil in a while. I think I sit somewhere in the middle, but I, I kind of like, yeah, Nick, I'm quite surprised at this man. Like, I, um, considering how much you're complaining about four's like stupidity as it gets on, like five actually stays not so. It doesn't have so much ridiculous moments. Like it, it presses forward, but it doesn't have those giant mechanical machine men and like you know like crazy sections. It, it has like a quite a realisticness to it. And the moments where it shines, especially like I think the last third is. A amazing that lab section is intense what with the giant um, crab not the giant crab before the giant <laughs> crab like the liquors and the like the underground cave section is pretty good as well like i, I yeah i'm kind of sitting somewhere in the middle and the files as far as the up, gameplay goes the files, the files at the end of the game are absolutely fabulous because when you realize how connected to the main series it is and i think the turning point of the game for me in terms of its story was i i enjoyed it all the way up to uh, chapter four but then the moment you go into the garden the underground garden mm. you start to get the answers i, was, I just thought that's fabulous so just you know we're in the very room that started the series i'm surprised you don't like Uroboros because we get quite a lot of explanation behind that and how it works. I thought you'd have liked that. I am a bit lost for words with this, Nick. I mean, you have just had probably the biggest rant <laughs> on, on, on the podcast, certainly certainly since I've been doing them, and yet you are an avid supporter of things like Confidential Report. And, <laughs> and you like the <laughs> films. <laughs> Do, do we get a thorough explanation of Ouroboros? I mean, the, you know, for someone like, what's her face, big tits, white dress, for her to suddenly go into that thing. Excellent. You know, to suddenly do that, and then like an Irving, and then to suddenly then go back into... But it's all explained. If your body can't take it, you will, you know, your body will break down and be consumed by the virus. It's It's all explained. And the reason she becomes so big is because it consumes all that, that massive container of dead bodies that were put there on purpose. It's not like it randomly happens like the creatures in Resident Evil 4 do. What about Irving? Irving was a plaguer. Oh, yeah, of course he was, of course he was. <laughs> and then it only adds back to your Resident Evil 4 comments about <laughs> ridiculous oversized creatures again. Why I don't see the correlation. Take it back, Nick. <laughs> Apologise. For me, it wasn't as polished as 4 in the way it played. I think he needs to replay it. I think this is the problem. He played it once. He said he played it. <laughs> perhaps I do. Perhaps I do. When it comes out in the Super HD version, yeah. um, 
Mac 2 Plus. <laughs> Do I enjoyed go? Lost in Nightmares immensely, though. I've played that more. No, I, I don't know. Five is... I don't know. I don't know what it is. It feels a bit disjointed for me. I felt more frustrated by the linear nature of it. I felt angered that it was so similar to 4, and I didn't like 4 that much. And that was my problem with it. My main issue with 5, and it was an issue of continuing creeping into this franchise, and I know we've probably touched on this before again, it's just the bloody movie references and the... Mm. The things, the little things I was starting to tie in for the film franchises, and I that was more driving me nuts. Like in four, it was the laser hallway stuff, and you know, five's got some of them as well. It's just certain designs and certain concepts. It's just like, oh, we like the look of that actually. Yeah, it's part of our franchise, man, we'll take it. Yeah, yes, there's been a growing influence, but I, I think that's general. I think there has been a growing influence with the films, action especially. Yeah, so that's kind of the revamped era that's being dubbed. I th- certainly think after five, there was a lot of resentment towards the series afterwards there was the people that liked the story which was i think most people did but i think people had grown a bit sick of that style which is why i think six in the new era was such a disappointment well just just quickly as well i had no patience or time for um dark side either what dark side did was just damage everything i like about two and code veronica (laughs) well again it goes back to the stupid creatures thing with the v complex or whatever it was the big sort of plant thing with like a skull growing out of it. I didn't have an issue with, with the chappie being absorbed by the plant which is infected by the T. Veronica virus because we know plants can be thanks to Plant 42 and Plant 43. That wasn't an issue. Yeah, turning into a dinosaur seemed a bit far <laughs> far-fetched. It's interesting because you guys were talking about the web community you know, and how there was like this peak in interest kind of from 2007, 2008, 2009 and I really think that the result of like the split between the people who liked and didn't like 5 and like how Darkside Chronicles was received really started to impact heavily on the future of that online community I mean there's other changes obviously the way social media has changed things and Capcom started actually listening to its fans and actually having building a community and stuff they, they all started to heavily impact on it but I really think that the split and the lack of interest people had after five especially kind of really started to key into that issue because of so many people that didn't like the game <laughs> well as i said that kind of led up to the build-up of certainly six we, we had to wait a while for that um but we did get revelations first which was that a tease bit of a tease it was weird because it was again there was quite a big gap after resident evil 5 wasn't there we had dark side chronicles and lost in nightmares in uh, three years, in the three year gap. And Revelations was a strange one because it brought Jill back and it was touted as a main series game. I remember Kawata saying, well, this is essentially Resident Evil 6 in all but name. You know, it's a proper sequel to 5 and it turned out to be a pre... Well, this was a frustrating thing for me because 5 closed a lot of doors in terms of the old plotline, so they had like a, a blank canvas in many respects. Yet, for some reason, they went back and did a prequel. I don't think that was the case when they did their debut trailer, which was completely different, wasn't it? It's the same as Zero. I can't think of any reason why it needs to be a prequel other than to explain the formation of the BSAA, which is already explained in files. Yeah. And that had issues with oversized enemies as well. I think we've nailed down the issue with the series. <laughs> <laughs> no more oversized enemies. Yeah, but that took it to biblical proportions. You know, we had a bacterium that grew bigger than a ship. I don't look back on that game favourably at all. It's still probably my least favourite. Ridiculously ambitious story. I don't think it'll ever make any sense to anybody. <laughs> 
you, you probably know the storyline better than anyone else in the world, Batman. I don't think I do. But it had some good stuff. I mean, it had good characters in, like Lansdale and Clive O'Brien. I wish Clive O'Brien had stuck around, leader of the BSCA. Yes, he is. I think it was the first time we had Hunters, didn't we, on the in the over-the-shoulder perspective. Yeah. But they were totally neutered, weren't they? Let's be honest. Yes. And that was the biggest disappointment in Revelations because you saw on the ship at how it had a go at claustrophobic. I, I need to play it on PlayStation 3 to see what it's like on that. But on the, on the small screen, on the DS, it worked quite well. I must admit being underwhelmed by the Queen Zenobia. I was hoping for like a proper hub, you know, with interesting environments like the mansion or the police station, but I just thought it was very, very bland and boring. Linear in some respects, like that, it does. It has like a progression to it rather than an open hub. It was well, that yeah. was disappointing. And as as I've talked about before as well, the bottlenecking in it's probably the most horrific part of that game. It's yeah, to an area, go to this area, get stuck, have to fight in a closed space. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, it's like a combination of four with older style almost. It didn't lend itself to play on the DS actually when you got bottlenecked. And the whole T abyss virus was a bit pointless. Hmm. Because. Yeah, it was just a gimmick, really. Mm. So that was a kind of tease, really, because uh, Resident Evil 6 came out to universal acclaim of shite. But that was following the absolute mess that was Operation Raccoon City. What? I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a dark year, wasn't it? 2012 was a dark, dark year. Yeah. What makes it worse is I paid full price for Operation Raccoon City. But it's, su- it's such a good concept. If they'd, done it, if they'd done it properly, it could have been brilliant. And what made it worse was that these factions were in the city. You know, we had the USS in there. We had the UBCS. And if you did follow Confidential Report, you had a lot of USSs around. There, there were armies around. And, yeah, and the US Army in Resident Evil 3. So there's the, the little hints throughout the series that could have linked it in beautifully. Yeah. You know, they, they, there's a whole part of the city you've never really seen. They could, it, this could have been done in the suburbs. There is some good bits that really work, like Echo Six team helping Jill and Carlos from the Nemesis, and that's that's a great tie-in. The U- yeah, the USS looking at the monitor when Ada fakes a death, uh, and then when you get to that room, Ada's body's gone. You know, stuff like that was really, really good. But then at the same time, you had the ridiculous retelling of the dead factory and the the spec ops being wiped out by the tyrants. That was embarrassing. I can't even remember how that's done in Operation no, I've never even gotten that. Okay. Well, the, the level looked completely different. The real cannon randomly came in through the ceiling. Oh, that's it, yeah. Oh, it was awful. I don't even think I finished it. I gave awful. Up. Yeah, I gave up, yeah. <laughs> they had the DLC of... I've played this, like, once through, and I didn't even play the DLC. Was the DLC actually as good as people said it was? Like, it was a better story than... It, it played better, and it had... Um, it did some clever set pieces using, like, the dark... You know, I think there's one level where you have to escort Sherry through the sewers with flares yeah that was good and although it's canonically you know abysmal as a sort of set piece it was stronger than just about anything that was done in the main game the worst part is I purchased the DLC but never played it (laughs) (laughs) I meant to get around to it but I I mean I bought the game cheap so I figured I'll buy the DLC because the DLC was pretty cheap by comparison anyway and um but I never really got around to playing it (laughs) and we had damnation didn't we that was okay it was. It was great to see the tyrants again. Yeah. And it was good to see the war zone. Shame about not it was an arc. It was probably the strongest thing of that year for me. Damnation. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was. I think you're right. Um, so it was October that we were graced with 
Resident Evil 6. I've played the remastered version of Resident Evil 6 because I'm not really a PC gamer, so I can appreciate how much better it looks on the PS4 than it did on the PS3. And oh, it's, it's, right, fr- right. it's frustrating because in the sort of 30 hours of gameplay, there's 10 hours of a really solid Resident Evil in there somewhere trying to get out. Mm. There's some really, really good stuff in there. I did. I, I, we're all quite harsh on the game for good reason. The tool oak section. The vast majority of it is quite good. I enjoyed going through the university and then exploring some of the town. I thought that was quite creepy. I thought that heralded back to the olden days. That was the intent, I'm guessing. Like yeah, the, I think Leon's so. whole campaign just feels like stages of the franchise. Yes. I think it was Chris's that I found was the worst, actually. I didn't think, if I remember correctly, Jake's wasn't too bad. I know it had, it had some stupid moments with the bus tank and the helicopter and the... I, I'm surprised with you, Nick. You know, you've just just berated. I know, I know, but I would say, um, God, do you not honestly find uh, Jake's campaign by far the worst? No, no, because I, I think the only redeeming feature of Jake's campaign was the fact that it harkened back to the Nemesis era with that know, kind of constant store just preset and you can't it do a second you can't do anything out of place other than, and the game just just kills you off you know and you, it's got the worst vehicle sections fucking snowmobile section oh it haunts me oh so, so I, can't, I really can't remember most of it and, but. And, uh, and it culminates the entire campaign culminates in Jake having a fist fight with us <laughs> fuck me it's awful is it, is it, I can't even remember how it ends to be honest they need to go and replay the final chapter for each character is is awful Yes, it really is terrible. But oh, there's some good stuff in there. Like I love the section where Chris's team get picked off by the snake. Even though it's scripted, I think it's really well done. And the bit towards the end of the game where you're trying to stop the missile from launching, yet yeah, it launches anyway and turns the whole city into zombies. That was really good. And, mm. uh, I had issues with the sea virus. Quite liked walking around the Chinese mansion looking for them emblems. Mm. You know, there's some there's some all right stuff in there, and there's some really really good character moments as well. Capcom have always really been good at, you know, with the characters. It, it's the character moments that save the game for me in some ways. You know, the little interactions between mm. Chris and Sherry, when Sherry talks about Leon yeah. and things like that. Oh, and Leon and Claire. But then for every good moment, you just get a Leon in the catacombs. And, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I need to go and replay then. I think I actually have more issues with Chris's game than Jake's. And that could be that could be wrong. That could be a wrong opinion to have. It's the second half of Chris's campaign where you go from like the aircraft hangar because that's just a shooter. That's not Resident Evil. Mm. And then the fifth level where you're on that sort of neo umbrella underwater base. That's just uh. oh, it's just so dull. And the creature you fight at the end just feels like it's going to go on forever yeah. and ever. And well, to be honest, that's actually relatively painless compared to fighting the dinosaur sewers. <laughs> which, which they reduced, they patched the length of that fight because everyone was saying it's too bloody long. Yeah. Is it dramatically different? I don't think I've played that as post-patch then. Yeah, it's quite short. I mean, the new version on um, just come out will have all the patch attachments with all the. I've never they adjusted tweet. all the camera. They allowed you to adjust yeah. all the camera settings. I and think all sort of care. I've definitely yeah. tried that patch because I got the I got the camera working like four and five just about, but I don't think I ever replayed it through again. I didn't realise they tweaked some fights. Mm. The... I played it before they did the patch as well, and then never. I played it once just to see what it was. It's, it's much easier and much shorter. Such is my lack of enthusiasm for six. I still haven't done the Ada scenario. The Ada scenario was a massive disappointment, though, because it was, it, yeah. you don't learn anything other than the big reveal, which was spoiled ten months before the game came out. <laughs> yes, <sighs> just too many 
ideas and a giant team that didn't amount to anything. Years and years of production. Mm. Biggest probably budget Capcom's ever spent on a game, and yet it doesn't feel like it at all. And the sad thing is, it made it. It did well financially. Um, it did okay. People people overstate because they forget how much Capcom, and I've said this plenty of times, people forget how much Capcom originally stated it was wanting to sell. It's only just met the expectations that they lowered twice. And so per unit, they lost you know less money, they made less profit, so it's taken a lot longer. It's it, Over time, and especially digital's probably helped it in the long run, they put it on sale so often that the sales have probably picked yeah. up and now it's been re-released. Like it's, it's going to pass its original goals, but it's taken how many years? Four years by the time, probably? I just hope that Resident Evil 6 is the same feeling Capcom had with Resident Evil 0 in that it's come to an end. I think they tried one more, one more shot with it after 4, 5 and 6 and because they didn't have the storyline to save it that 5 did the producer you know 5 said he wasn't wanting to come back for 6 because he didn't know where to take it and that's pretty much the, the company in a nutshell like but he the left scale. It, but yeah. the producer left it with them to do what they wanted because he had Tricell we had the the weird African biological division just doing this rogue thing in Kajuju he could have done anything with it and he did something weird. Oh, all the fans like Umbrella. Neo Umbrella? Yeah, go on then. The only saving grace is that three years later, we then get Revelation 2, which was an interesting concept, and one that gives us that little bit of hope. How would you have viewed it, though, if Alex Wesker wasn't involved? Alex Wesker was completely indisposable. That character could have been anyone. But yeah. I, I personally don't think it made any difference. But do you think it was the draw of Alex Wesker, that big unresolved cliffhanger, is what drew a lot of people to it? I think so, but I don't think people were disappointed. As far as we're concerned, I think what drew us to it was it was a new Resident Evil title. Let's, let's mm. like, be honest. We had expectations beforehand that it was going to be the Alex Wesker's story, but we didn't know that for sure. I personally think the Alex Wesker storyline's shit, but... For me, as a game, actually, I think it's that hope, that beacon of hope that it went down well. The game went down well with the community. I was hooked in the first minute. That time I went and just and absolutely got jumped out of my skin with it, with a zombie coming up through the um, bookshelf. I jumped out of my skin and I laughed. I thought, yes, <laughs> yes, I had not done that. I had not done that since Remake or Zero. And that's a long long time and from that moment I didn't care what the game did after that I was I was happy I was genuinely happy and it, it, there was lots of jump moments throughout that game I, I thought it was a perfect combination of the Resident Evil 1 to 3 claustrophobic nature on top of the tense uh, feeling of horror from Resident Evil 4 and uh, yeah, good zombies good creatures creepy dolls you know weird woman with dolls stupid woman with telepathic you know it, it, it was it was fine it it was it, you know from what we've put up with it was well this is this is this may as well be science fact you know but it was yeah i love that, it that's love a it. bigger question though like the fact that you have to say considering what we've put up with <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a disclaimer right there like for me the second episode is probably the best of the four i yeah. think we've probably all agreed with that yeah and i definitely play more of a game that's like that but we need to ignore the silly, contrived requirements of the plot. It needs to be a good plot. They can't just come up with an idea and then just kill it off by making something completely silly, which is what the, the end of the game is just ridiculous. Mm. That last 
the end of it. It's just insane. Which bit? Okay, the mutation, the transference of mind. Like, this is... Ugh, I don't even like the way it ends. It's just horrific. The more it's gone <laughs> on in time, the more it has annoyed me more and more, I think. Mm, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. If it's going to be a progenitor for future games based on the, the atmosphere, then it should be put on a huge pedestal revelations too. Regardless of how good the game is in terms of its story, I just think it got the atmosphere very good considering, I will say, its limitations in terms of how you know it wanted to do the over-the-camera angle. I consider that angle to be a limitation as to what you can do in horror, and I think it did it well. To me, it still speaks of Capcom's inability to, to decide what Resident Evil is as a franchise. You know, they don't know where it's going, they don't know where it's been anymore. You know, we've talked about it, like whether or not it needs to be a case of do we need to reboot the series? Do we need to look at how it's gone? Because it's it's getting to a point now that we've had too many bio incidents. We've got this dangling plotline, which to me isn't to me isn't really interesting enough. Like, oh, now we've got a kid that's got a, you know, crazy, like, it's basically a reincarnation of a crazy woman. Like, they might as well just keep the crazy woman. They, they didn't need that. Exactly. But it's not interesting as well. Like, oh, wow, this kid's, what this, what's this kid going to do? Unleash another bioterror outbreak? Mm. Wow. Like, I don't know where it's going in there. No, it, doesn't, it doesn't interest me. It harks back to the day when, conversely, in Wesker's report DVD, when all Wesker said was, there's something about this little girl, and the internet went on fire <laughs> well it's not because in the context of things we knew that this girl had been infected with a virus and that the virus was potential use to Wesker like that's quite different than a little girl who now has knowledge like, no no no, 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 no. What, I'm sa- what I'm saying is that there was so much potential from there's something about this little girl and you were excited whereas what you just said is absolutely true that there's yeah. a girl that she's got a bit of information about being Alex Wesker so what you know because there's just going to be another it's, outbreak it's, there isn't, yeah, there isn't something connected to it. You are right. There's nothing connected to it. And, it, and the big question, like, that I know John definitely agrees as well, is that why did they kill off Alex Whisker if they're just going to replace Alex Whisker with another Alex Whisker, essentially? It's, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, so uh, if we talk about moving forward, we've got Umbrella Courts. We've got things like Biohazard the Stage um, and Biohazard the Musical. However you feel about that, that's great. That, to me, that's just a long continuation of stuff. I mean, we've had the Executor 4D ride. Yes. You had all these things in the past. There's been other events in Japan. There's all the Halloween things every year now. It's about extending that brand. And if they're making these stories canon and they fit perfectly well, then, then there's nothing wrong with them. So just to sum up what we've talked about then, 20 years of Resident Evil, what's your sort of conclusions? Do you... <laughs> Are you pleased the series is still going, or would you rather it had died a glorious death when it was still at the top of the triple the A pile? I've known quite a few friends that have abandoned it, and I try and see if I can say this as eloquently as I thought the other day. I see Biohazard as a good close friend of yours that turns to drink and <laughs> drugs, and they basically go and fuck their life up. And all the while, you just feel really bad for them. And you, you try and stick with them and try and help them, but ultimately, they have to do the healing themselves before things are put right. And occasionally, like with any person who's going through rehabilitation, you see flashes of brilliance, like they're the old person they used to be, and then they have a relapse, and they, you know, which for us was like six, and they go down again. And the thing you have to do with people like that in your life is you have to stick by them. And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, because eventually they might just get it right again. And, uh, uh, you know, like Resident Evil Revelations 2 shows that potentially the series can go on the road to recovery. We all need carer's allowance. Yeah. 
And, I, you know, the same way you don't abandon your friends, I'm not going to abandon this, which has looked after me and given me great material. So, yeah, it's, it's, we've had a lot of years of it not being in the best place, but I'm not ready to abandon it just yet. I'm afraid I'm a bit more pessimistic than you. Revelations 2 aside, I don't think they're going to follow it, which is the cause of my pessimism. To provide another analogy, if, if you were to line up all the different types of zombie that have been in the games, so lab coat zombie... Uh, Wesker Bomb Zombie and all, all the ones with varying skill, strength I'm afraid I think we are at the Graveyard Zombie from Code Veronica barely crawling out of its own ditch and quagmire trying to latch onto a, a trailing boot you know that may be some flesh that they could molt on we aren't in a good place gentlemen and unless Not hour tonight Nick I don't <laughs> And unless someone can give them a shot of Ouroboros and suddenly transform them into something monumental, I, I feel our zombie game will just become dead. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrate in 20 years. <laughs> Happy birthday. Personally, I want the series to end. I want them to resolve Ada's plotline and then I feel I could walk away because mm. with each passing game it's just it's losing a little bit more and you know it's I think you're right in many respects Nick it'll never ever return to its glory days but you do feel a kind of loyalty to it don't you because you've been with it for so long Robbie yeah it's it's hard I've given up on the franchise previously and come back to it in some respects as well and it's it's a hard ask sometimes as I said plenty of times before and I will continue to say well they still don't know what it is and that makes like re- even relaunching the franchise a hard ask because it's become so many different things to so many different people that that's part of the problem but also part of the solution so like yeah relaunching it they've got to work out what is the core of the game but that makes people think a Resident Evil game is a Resident Evil game because right now it can be anything it can be a shooter it can be a third person action game it could be a fixed camera angle third person it can be anything and it's it's more about to me nailing the plot and nailing the tone more than anything else they need to think about these things more the games that have been the most successful are the ones that have balanced horror and action and just like atmosphere very well with a plot that is approachable whereas when they become more and more far out and more and more repetitive people just start to tune out the idea of throwing everything in in the kitchen sink like they did with six just obviously didn't work so hopefully they don't repeat that mistake again but you guys are all pessimistic about the remake um, so (laughs) for resident evil 2 well uh, as we've touched on before i don't physically think they can make remake 2 the way it needs to be well whether it needs to be made is a different question entirely but it's going to be made so there's no point in arguing about it but i just don't think they can do it my thoughts are is more like what we said before which is about moving forwards like remaking resident 2 is only going backwards again it's not progressing it's just about stagnating and in that way like i can see why it's a potential safe bet they go look it's it's got this great pedigree and sales history and people really loved it so if we remake it then people will fall in love with it but it does ignore the fact that they haven't, they can't make a decision on what they actually want to move forward with. I will say that I'm sort of at a point in my life where if they did reboot it, as in like completely story reboot and everything, I don't think I'll have time for all this again. You know, in, in terms of just putting myself through it, if, if they said they were going to re, you know, reboot the series from 1998 with a, revi- you know, a fresh spin on all the characters, you know, so they'll make. You know, they'll do some gender swapping or, you know, I'm not interested in that at all. The only, I think the only reason I'm still here is for the story. And so if they were to just, like, restart it again, I'd just have no interest in that. I would actually, I would would walk away. 
I think we should end on everyone's favourite memory of the series. It doesn't have to be anything grandiose. It could be a little a tiny little moment you had in your specific game that is only relatable to you in that moment, or it could be as something as brilliant as the opening sequence of Cobra Correct, say, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, we'll start with Rombie. What's, what, what's your personal favourite memory of the series? I have two, so I can't really split them. They're, to me, they're the first time I properly played the original game on PlayStation with friends, uh, which was after I'd seen it at the bloody shop where the guy was yelling at the TV. But the dog scene happened with them, with them jumping through the window, obviously. Really? And then my friend's dog came running into the room, and everyone <laughs> freaked out. It was brilliant. And I think that's probably one of the things that really anchored the series with me. And then I think the other experience was, was the, the launch weekend of Resident Evil 2. And my friend came around and we literally played, like, I think we started playing it after school on a Friday night. Uh, and we, we stayed up pretty much all weekend and finished all four scenarios and all the extras. And we were just obsessed. And, and it was amazing. I just remember being so excited about the game coming out and finally getting to play it. And it was just everything I expected. And it's that sort of hope I still hopefully carry most times I start a new title in the series that I will find something that's just as fun to play Sean? Um, I think obviously the original game was fabulous for what it was, I'll never forget that feeling the first time I played it, being stood in that hall the main hall, not knowing which way to go, not knowing what was behind each door, but I think the moment that skyrocketed the series for me and, and, and really made it special was I was playing the, the 10 minute demo that came on the front of Playstation magazine of Resident Evil 2, time demo and uh, mm. each time you played it you would always get that little bit further and um, there was the moment where I was playing it and you meet Claire in the star's office and there's just something about the writing in that scene and the music that plays. For the first time ever playing a game, I actually thought I'm, I'm playing something something more than a game. Now I'm playing a, a sort of bridge between a game and a movie, like a production value I'd never previously seen. The music's just fabulous in that scene. The writing's pretty strong, the acting is bad. And I just I think that was the moment that changed gaming in many ways for me is why I put Resident Evil 2 on a very high pedestal. Uh, Batman? Um, I just think the feeling it invoked just wandering around the mansion of the first game. I've never been so captivated in that and coupled when Director's Cut came out, myself and two friends, I vividly remember we were all sat in the porch of his house counting five peas. We literally walked into town with five pences bursting out of every pocket we had so we could go into Woolworths and buy a copy of Resident Evil Director's Cut. And I still remember the looks we were getting in this shop as the poor woman behind the counter was counting out all these five peas. <laughs> but yeah, great first game for me. Yeah, everything about that first game. I could pick it up and play it now and relive that moment I was first playing where I was, what I was doing, my feelings, because they haven't changed. Uh, the, the genuine fear of the guardhouse, uh, the music of the guardhouse, when you first go in it and you're like, okay, this shit's just got even worse than what it was. And then suddenly you're confronted with not just zombies and zombie dogs and giant snakes. You've got a big plant, we've got a big shark, we've got big spiders, and you know, I'm running out of ammunition here. Genuinely terrifying at the time. I have a, a personal moment from Resident Evil 3, I think. I think it's the third or fourth time you encounter the Nemesis. I think when you're running back from... It's not the town square bit. the um, Where the uh, power station is, the power plant. And he jumps down when you've just done that puzzle. And I had no ammunition at all at that point for whatever reason. And I just... I was like, oh shit, he's running. I, just, I paused the game. I was like, what do I need to do? I need to run. 
and I was, I was vividly trying to remember and plan out the, my route back to the save room because that's the only that's the only thing I could think of where I'd be safe. And I just went on this absolute mega run with a nemesis running behind me going 100 miles an hour. And I was, abs- I was, I was shouting at the screen, run, shit, run, run, like that. And I got to the save room and I, I, I was physically exhausted by <laughs> sh- shouting. I was, oh my God. And I wouldn't leave that room for ages. I was just sitting there going, oh, please. And then, and then the fear... Once I was ready and I, I I had a couple of herbs and I was herbed up and I had a couple of rounds of ammunition in the item box and that fear that I had to go out because the nemesis was there. I think I made it from there back to the save room close to the RPD exit and it, I, honestly the amount of bottle it took to get out I was like go go and I opened the door and he'd gone and I was like oh my god brilliant it was a wonderful moment and that's never been replicated for me so one and three are, I hold up very high as my first two games of the series so. Um, we can quickly finish with favourite game if that's, that's quite a hard hard thing to say. I think we, we I think we've we've answered those questions before, but for me it would always be the first game. It's the best game. If I could only take one and play it for the end of end of my days, it would be the first game. Batman. I think I'd have to agree. There's loads of games I love for different reasons. I think Resident Evil Three is the most the one I've played the most. If I fancy a quick fix of Resident Evil Three, is usually my default game. But mm-hmm. I just think. For the overall experience, the nostalgia and the memories, it's got to be the first one. Uh, Rob? Same thing. I, honestly, I, I can't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Short and sweet, but yeah, the, the original game is perfect. And stars? The remake's the one I always recommend. Five's one of my favourites, but I think two's the most important to me in terms of how it changed my perspective of what video games could do. Yeah. So two for you. Well, there we go. I hope I hope everyone's enjoyed that. It was a nice twentieth anniversary retrospective. Almost, we've kind of looked back on the different eras. We've looked positively towards the future. Uh, <laughs> until next, some of us, some of us. <laughs> until next podcast, uh, when we will be discussing Umbrella Corpse. So mm, brace yourself for that one. So yes, um, I would obviously like to say happy birthday to. Um, Resident Evil onto Capcom, and I hope it continues. So, without further ado, we'll now move on to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. New format. New questions. And new challenges. a new quiz to test the result. Biohazard Quiz! Playing this week are... Batman! Star's Tyrant! George Trevor! And Mr. Spencer! 
So welcome, welcome to the e-quiz. After my last shambolic attempt at getting questions wrong and being called to task over it, I am very grateful for the help and assistance that I've had from uh, USS Command and Crimson Elder in particular. I think Vito sent me some questions as well. I am always grateful. It makes my job a bit easier. And um, they haven't disappointed me, gentlemen. And you've got some very difficult questions. I have refrained from non-canon questions that may come at a later time. Actually, no, I lie. One of them, one of them, maybe one non-canon. But we have four questions from Crimson Head Elder and one question from USS Command. So if everyone can clear their desktops, you can open up Notepad. Let's go. <laughs> it's going to be agonising, isn't it? I think most people will get three, maybe two. Okay, so question number one is, a who am I? The island is in good spirits again. We are welcoming our firstborn into the world. The mining business is booming again. Life is pretty good. Who am I? Arthur Scargill. <laughs> <laughs> Get half a point if we know who it is, but we don't know their name. You can ask me first, so I, I can say who I think it is, but I don't know their name. Okay, I'll see. Question number two. On January the 16th, 2009... Adam makes an entry into his blog. This is his second entry and describes a certain event. What is this event that takes place? This in hell. <laughs> I know where it's from, but I'm just trying to... Question number three. During the laser sequence in the temple, you have to acquire three emblems. What are the names given to said emblems? <laughs> what temple? What temple? This that? is mega art. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what game you're talking about. That's Ori 5, that is. <laughs> that is Ori crazy. <laughs> They've actually got quite enigmatic names, those things. Question number four and I'm reliably informed by Crimson Elder if George gets this right then he's cheated what? <laughs> how many figures can you unlock in Resident Evil 5 including gold editions extra content yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, just, uh, I didn't even understand the question and finally question number five comes from USS Command this may be a non-canon question I'm not quite sure but you can have a go what is the name of the baseball team in Raccoon City <laughs> That's quite a good question, if it wasn't for more question I can see. I think it is, but apparently I've got a little hint, and I don't think it's in the game, but... How are we meant to know? How are we supposed to get it? Yeah. <laughs> How do you know? Where's it? What's it in? Uh, okay, I'll give you a This is from a UK pre-order bonus t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off for that. <laughs> That's your fault. The worst thing is I actually think I remember seeing it. Well, everyone, I think you'll all get three <laughs> Well, this is one of the hardest rounds that we've ever done. Well, this is why you shouldn't upset the quiz master this is, this in is the previous quiz. Okay, so that concludes our questions. Join us after this where we'll run through the answers.
Welcome back to Neptune's Biohazard I Quiz. Let's see how. I feel cheated. I feel like I haven't been asked any <laughs> questions. I was looking forward to this quiz. <laughs> Let's see how everyone has done. So question number one was the island is in good spirits again. We are welcoming our firstborn into the world. The mining business is booming again. Life is pretty good. Who am I? And George, you wanted to answer. Just so I can get something on the board, even if it's half a point, because I won't be getting anything else. I, I think, is this like the old Russian guy from in Revelations? two that starts a family and his daughter goes off to get a better life and you meet him and he saves Moira in the end oh no there's a little yeah that guy you know who I mean Rombi I have no idea the name I feel it was the same guy that, that George just mentioned Batman Evgeny Rebic the only question any of us are getting right Mr Spencer I've, I got nothing I didn't know that one uh, so sorry I didn't know how to write it I've got Evgeny but I don't think that is how you write it points there to Batman and I think I will give Stars Tyrant the points for getting Evgeny yeah, yes, I, I wrote right. it as E-U-G-E-V-Y but that's not it it's got some N's uh, in hasn't it it's Y-E-P-E-N-Y that's <laughs> how you spell Evgeny Question number two is on the 16th of January 2009. Adam, famous Adam, makes an entry into his blog. This is his second entry and describes a certain event. What was it? Rombie, did you know what event he was describing? No clue what to Not a guess? No. Uh, Stars time. Um, I can't remember anything about it. The only thing I remember from that file at all is that at some point he meets the blonde girl who is killed in five. So all I've literally okay. written down is um, he meets the blonde girl. Could be. George Trevor? Well, I'm, I'm obviously wrong because I put down the kids you outright. Right, okay, right, okay, fine. Uh, Mr. Spencer? I think someone's birthday. Don't know who's, but I'll just put someone's birthday. Someone's birthday, okay. Batman? This is a guess, but I'm going to go for the fact that he notices a dog that that's been infected with the plague. He says something about it. It's got, like, tentacles growing out of its face, but I can't remember if that's the right date or not. So are some women. Uh, well, that's kind of what my answer is. Yeah, the first evidence of a virus in Kijuju. I'm afraid no points to anyone. The correct answer is a bar fight. Oh. There we go. Slightly anticlimactic. Oh, massive there, but never mind. Evil law. <laughs> <laughs> bar fight. <laughs> Get a that viral outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> Well, didn't Outbreak start exactly. out in a bar? Was it Outbreak? It did, it Shit. did. Question at number three was, during the laser sequence in the temple, you have to acquire three emblems. What are the names of these emblems? We'll start with Batman. Beast, Serpent, and... I don't know. Cat. <laughs> no. I just said bird if you go for that. Rombie? Uh, I'm going with earth, sea, and sky. Okay. Uh, George Trevor? Don't, I, I'm just impressed with myself. I knew it was from RE5 in which area. So was I when I yeah. read it. <laughs> I'm on, John's on to something because he said something, had something to do with I thought, something seasonal or, or elemental because at the time he kind of, I thought this is like throwback to emblems and things in RE1. I don't know. But it's yeah, something similar to what John was saying. It, Mr. Spencer? Uh, again, I think John was onto something because when he said, like, beast and serpent, it kind of, like, something triggered in my mind where I'm like, there's something going on there. He's down a right avenue, but... Yeah. Um, God. I don't know. Earth, wind, and fire. Was that, was that a band? Stars Tyrant, I left you last because you sound like you were having problems I remembering. Know, I think I remembered the wrong game. I seem to remember <laughs> at some point you have to collect the three parts for a, a chimera, a serpent, goat, and a lion, but now I'm thinking about it, it's fucking Resident Evil 4, isn't it, in the castle? Mm. It's not, it's uh, yeah. Not five. yeah, so that was my answer, but it's four. Oh, okay. Congratulations, Rombie. Sky, Earth, and Sea was oh. correct. <laughs> <laughs> 
actually remembered. I thought it might be like <laughs> elemental, yeah. And I'm going to give half a point to Mr. Spencer for getting Earth. <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire. You've got one of them. I think right. that's very yeah, harsh that you, we, me and Romby don't get a point. I uh, don't get half for basically guessing the right answer to one, but forgetting the name. But Mr. Spencer makes a, a <laughs> reference to the 70s and gets a point. Thank you very much, <laughs> Morris White. <laughs> Okay, question number four. How many figures can you unlock in Resident Evil 5, including gold edition extra content? Um, and if George gets this right, he's cheated, apparently. George? Oh, fucking, I don't know. 69. 69. Batman? No idea. I've never even attempted it. 50. 50. Mr. Spencer? 32. Mr. Star Starrant? I'm thinking there was 32 in the core game for Rose of Age, right. and then they added another 8 for the gold edition, so I'm going to go 40. Rumby? I was going to say 42. Ooh. 56, so Ooh. no points. 56. Close, close. Good guess. I wouldn't have had a clue, so good guess. And finally, question number five came from USS Command. I'm get zero. What is the name of the baseball team in Raccoon City? Mr. Spencer, I'm concerned you're thinking of the football yeah, team. Yeah, Sharks. That's the football team, isn't it? Was that your answer? Yeah, I put Sharks down. That's the football team, I reckon. No well. Batman? Um, I've not got a clue. Raccoon Dodgers. <laughs> George? I'm going to get zero for the first time. The raccoon... Oh, fucking hell. The raccoon outbreaks? Like... <laughs> <laughs> the star's phone? Um, I don't know. I think it's something connected with the actual animal of a raccoon. Don't the collectible raccoons have a baseball cap on or something? So I'm just going to say something like the raccoons or the raccoon razors or something. Cartoon it was the raccoons. raccoons. Cyril Sneer. Yes. The basis of Resident Evil mm. 6's box art. Romby, you sounded potentially optimistic. Uh, I know, I'm not. That's the problem. I remember seeing that pre-order t-shirt. I cannot remember what's on it. I'm just going to say something silly like, I don't know, the Raccoon Bandits or something. I don't know. I've got nothing. I've got absolutely uh, nothing. Well, as I said, yes, it's from a UK pre-order bonus oh, t-shirt. I've just seen it. I've just looked it up. <laughs> as you will note... It is somewhat ironic. It's the Raccoon City All-Stars. So there we go. There we go. So let's toss up the scores. In last place, it's George Trevor with zero. Unfortunate, that. No, I think for for identifying the right person. He identified the guy. Yeah, and Mr. Mr. Spencer Spencer identified. Cracks wise and gets a point. (laughs) What? What do you mean cracks wise? uh, Where was this at? What did this happen for? Go on, what what cracks was this? You you made a joke and um, got a point for it. Earth wins for Earth. You got a point for I got half, half. Okay. So the revised scores. George Trevor, you're last with 0.5, so half a point. Well done. In joint second is Mr. Spencer, Star's Tyrant, and Batman with one, which means this week's winner is Romby with two and a half. Well done, Romby. Well done, Romby. I told you should have voted you now. Certainly a dramatic conclusion to our 20th anniversary podcast quiz. So join us next time when we'll have some more painfully difficult questions. That brings us very neatly towards the conclusion of our 20th anniversary special. Probably reconvening for a further podcast. I think we're either going to do one on Brother Corpse, depending on when it comes out. We also plan to do one on the stage. We're going to try and get everyone to view it and do a special podcast on that. Any more questions um, for the quiz? 
send them my way. Any MP3 call-ins, I will try and alert you before we do it, especially about Umbrella Corps, if anyone wants to have a, um, a discussion about that and how they feel about that game, then I'll be all ears. But on that note, it's been uh, wonderful to uh, do a 20th anniversary special podcast. Um, happy birthday, Capcom. Happy birthday, Resident Evil. Happy birthday, Project Umbrella Podcast. It's goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Stars Tyro. Goodbye from me, George Trevor. Goodbye from me, Rombie. And it's goodbye from me, Mr. Spencer. now is open the floor up for people to do their biohazard impressions. Mass production? Ridiculous! Vincent, this is your mother. Stop doing those terrible tests. Come home. Too much growth against an organization. Stop doing those awful podcasts and just come home. I will take over your research. (laughs) Well, that got to the root of the problem. Oh, this this hall is dangerous. Yo, yo, you go. It's really powerful, especially against living things. I just joined the Stars Bravo team last month. Enrico! Joe, is that you, Joe? Dining room. <laughs> Take a look at this. <laughs> My God! Chris, this house is too dangerous. There are terrible <laughs> demons. Out! Oh, the stars are gonna be finished soon. Someone is a traitor. Oh, uh.